Hello there, it's your old pal Kevin. Just a quick word of thanks before we get into today's episode about the bad guy Scott Hall. This episode was requested by our pal Liam Stollerick over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. If you have got a wrestler, a match type, a story, a theme or something about the world of wrestling that Joe has to learn about and you want to see us make an episode, you can do so as well as receiving access to goodies like Joe's show notes, live streams every month and over 28 bonus episodes covering all all of the pay-per-views since 2015 as well as some random bonus content along the way. If you want to see what it's like for a new fan to experience all of the weird world of wrestling from the last two years you can do so just by becoming a $5 backer over on patreon.com forward slash wrestling. Big thanks to our man Liam Stollerick for requesting such an awesome episode topic and thanks to you for checking us out and enjoy this episode. It's How To Scott Hall. friends and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and we're seriously taking over this week folks because our episode is about the bad guy razor ramon it's big scott hall however once again i'm cowboy kevin joined as i am always by my better half and the ever inquisitive always eager to learn and find out more about the world of wrestling it's joe graham hey yo oh man you're going straight for hey yo my new branding what are you fucking throwing a toothpick at me for as well <laughs> why have you got another toothpick behind your ear where are all these toothpicks coming from <laughs> oh no spooky fingers mannerisms <laughs> so you went with hey yo this week as opposed to uh howdy. as opposed to howdy or hey or hi <laughs> imagine if scott hall <laughs> grabbed the microphone and went Hi. <laughs> I think he could have pulled it off. I think it would still be cool. <laughs> so this has been obviously an episode that we were looking forward to recording for for the longest time. Uh, Scott Hall, I think, in, in our canon has been, ooh, who's that handsome man over there for quite a long time? I mean, have you, were you excited to find out about, about Scott? I mean, Kevin's being modest here because actually every single day since, since we started this podcast, I've just been begging him to let me learn about Scott Hall so I can watch all his sexy matches. Putting up all the big Scott Hall posters and yeah. then in the bedroom, Joe. Subtle wearing, hints, like. Wearing terrible outsiders t shirts and things of that trying nature. Trying to shave your beard into a moustache. So, this whole episode is coming about because at the moment I'm trying to show Joe gently mind dipping our toe into the very strange, weird, deep and dark pool that is WCW and learning about some of the stars who went on to make WCW a big massive success. Um, Scott Hall is obviously a little is an interesting one because like many of the people who helped make WCW a big success, as much if not more of a story takes place in the WWF as opposed to WCW. But before we get into talking all about the innings and outings of the bad guy, it's time for what Joe learned in wrestling this week. Do you want to do your whistle? An so. appropriate whistle in, because some people thought that the whistle that I was doing was too harsh on their ears. Really? That's fair enough. Yeah, so, you know it's bad when your whistle is compared to Ricky Gervais's laugh, so, in lieu of that whistle, here's this whistle. I'm really good at that, aren't I? I'm coming on leaps and bounds. Amazing. Taking onboard criticism, adapting, 
and uh, rolling on from there. So what did you learn in wrestling this week, Joe? So this week I learned that a teacher in Luton has been banned from the teaching profession. Maths teacher here allowed pupils to settle disputes during an out-of-hours wrestling club. What? illegal out-of-hours wrestling school. Was this guy, like, was he a total mark? Did he look like he was, you know, do you have, like, his Bullet Club t-shirt on or, like, his NWO tie? So apparently what he did was basically if kids had, like, disputes in school, like, they're in an argument or whatever, rather than them wasting precious, you know, teachers' time. I mean, you can probably empathise with this, Kevin. You've you've been a teacher. Yeah, former teacher speaking right here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, you maybe didn't go down the uh, wrestling club route of starting your own, you know, illegal... Child ran wrestling ring. <laughs> it's because it's got more like a fight club than a kind yeah. of a wrestling club. It's seeming more and more like. I mean, if he went down the official route and thought, yeah, these guys, maybe they need an outlet for their excess of aggression, then yeah, fine. But no, he just did it secretly. Yeah, this is strange. This isn't kind of like. This isn't like the type of wrestling club you'd want to set up as a teacher where it's kind of like you're Vince McMahon in the 80s and you go into all the different classes and you see who all the stars are like. It's kind of right, you know, I'm going to give you maybe a new gimmick. You can be Mr. Perfect. (laughs) You can be the Red Rooster or whatever. We'll we'll put together me and my core team who've left over from my dad. We'll decide on it. This sounds like this guy's got more of a Puerto Rico vibe where it's like, let's get all the kids who really have legitimate beefs with each other, (laughs) put them in a really unsafe working environment and then get a load of kids with batteries and cups of piss to start fucking them at them and uh, we'll all get fired in the end that sounds dreadfully unsafe so this isn't what you would have done then no and I will tell you as a teacher I did see an awful lot of fake wrestling on the playground and honestly it's very difficult to go and go hey you guys stop fighting I'm sorry I know it's like did you see SummerSlam fucking hell Brock and Randy can you stop fighting that's awful no CM Punk is never going to come back you're fucking <laughs> stupid year nine idiot oh CM Punk what are you talking about he's never going to come back stop fighting everyone stop fighting this is inappropriate it's so you know it's difficult if you're a teacher as a wrestling fan his heart's in the right place <laughs> but he clearly was in the right place when like safeguarding training was happening because it would have been made clear to him do you know what the worst thing about this is he charged pupils up to <laughs> 20 pounds to attend okay i'm starting to think that this guy is is well well dark-sided like you know <laughs> you hear the greasy promoters is like yeah you pay me 20 pounds so you can go out and wrestle yeah. you know it'll be fine you know you'll get experience he's 21 he'll ride the roads he's fine he'll learn he's teaching these kids really valuable life lessons like in order to healthily deal with aggression just just fight all the time well we had a teacher a PE teacher briefly and he was like this week we're going to do Greco-Roman style wrestling he wanted to give us a rounded PE education because we'd just been playing football for three years so he comes in it's like Greco-Roman wrestling and this is like 2003 so this is the height of Brock Lesnar and I think I mentioned before in my school all the rugby kids all got mad into Brock Lesnar they'd all like be doing lines of creatine getting all big these massive boy children getting all hulky and mad watching Brock Brock Lesnar matches. So it's like, let's do uh, Greco-Roman wrestling. And you've got like the captain of the rugby team was like, F5! <laughs> to some poor fucking exchange student. Wrestling and, and school doesn't mix, folks. No. Take it from me, who's broken his fair share of glasses as a student doing it. <laughs> Funny thing you mentioned, that's not the first time I've heard of a teacher getting fired in the uh, the world of wrestling because of his association with... Obviously, this is a much greasier version, but there was a guy called Matt Stryker. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's been a commentator for WWE. He commentates for Lucha Underground. But he was a social studies teacher in New York, and on his sick days, he used to just go and 
do wrestling and he got found out because he like Kurt Angle was doing like an open invitation on they needed a jobber and he was like oh I'll do it and he like called in sick to work and then all his kids saw him <gasps> wrestle Kurt Angle on TV so he got fired oh my god but then WWE hired him as a result because it was a big national story it's like oh the teacher who got fired because he loves wrestling and he managed to get a job out of it for That's quite a few awesome. years so fucking A yeah good for him so if you are a teacher and thinking oh I might incorporate wrestling in there somehow you know what play it safe do like I did Occupy all your pictures in your lesson about the rock cycle with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. They'll learn it so much fucking quicker. Mm -hmm. So much quicker. Right, so time to talk about Big Scott Hall. Before we delved into the bad guy, what did you know about Scott other than he's a handsome devil? Oh, that's what I was going to say. So I, I knew, yeah, I knew he's a hunk. I knew he's the, the most handsome hunk. <laughs> um, hot bod... Cool face. Cool face? Excellent jawline. Just, uh, you know... Great hair. Jam-up guy. Total, total hunk. So what Stud is, muffin. I was going to ask, like, what is it about... We might as well, like, before we get into his wrestling and his life and all that, let's just completely objectify him off the bat. And right. So is it the jaw and the body hair and the fact that he's <laughs> tall... Is that why Scott No, Hall it's not just those things. It's like those things and everything else. Like he, okay, he's undeniably cool, right? Yeah. There's no one who's going to ever look at him and be like, that guy's a dork. He's cool. He's got an amazing look. Like he's got that chiseled Ben from Full Throttle kind of like massive jaw. <laughs> he's got the cool squinty hey, eyes. Hey, yo, I'm not the putting my lips on that. <laughs> Relevant, cool, deep voice. <laughs> Joe, are you telling me that you find people who've got a particularly deep voice and are tall, you find those people attractive? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I can't keep that up. <laughs> He's, um, I, I do love his body hair because that, that's a pet peeve of mine is that so many wrestlers like it's less so now I suppose but mm. like a couple of years ago when we started this podcast like shaving your body hair was such a thing he's like the only guy from that time frame who had like proper chest hair who wasn't like oh this guy's like a crazy yo he grew up in a cave or yeah. he's a monster who's got happens got hairy back no he's a stone cold hunk <laughs> he's got a hairy front but a hairless back that's yeah, Scott's that's, uh, the thing. that's the trick right there he maintains there. but doesn't get rid of you know so in terms of him as a wrestler though did you know anything about like the what he'd done wait or who... I'm sorry Scott Hall's a wrestler yeah he is I thought he was just a really handsome, cool hunk that we were just watching. No, he, just... he he's in a prearranged, predetermined contests. Oh, uh, for for amusement, so and entertainment. Those matches that you told us about. Yeah, the, there were other people there other than. Scott yeah, no, Hall. we were on the network, not clips for sale. We were on oh. the we were on the network. Those were matches. Oh. 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 Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, did you know anything about his like? Like his wrestling, like you know, people who he would have wrestled with, or any kind of famous moments or anything like that about him. Because I know he was in the Hall of Fame when we first started watching wrestling. Yeah, but I didn't know who he was, so it meant nothing to me. And no, I didn't know anyone who he wrestled with, um, and except for Kevin Nash, I knew he and they were like friends. Yeah, because I think they're. You see a picture of Hall and Nash, yeah. he's buried there. It's funny, you know. Our, 
four matches he looked at tonight. I didn't go, I went like out of my way. It's like, I don't want to just like do all Nash stuff or Outsiders stuff because that's like, I think Outsiders, their tag team is almost a separate episode. But Nash appears in three of the four matches just by the fact that those two's careers so closely linked together. Yeah, but even that, like, I, I know nothing about Kevin Nash. Even now, like, I don't really know much about them at all. He's like a slightly taller, less handsome, less deep voiced version of, of Scott Hall. Like, yeah. And his punches aren't as good. So. <laughs> Definitely not as good. Well, that's interesting because I remember like when we first started watching and like it was the the Hall of Fame of that WrestleMania, Scott Hall went in and that's just after Scott, you know, he had been through some dark times, we'll talk about that, but obviously Scott's in a much better place currently in 2017 than he was back in the day and I think I remember just being blown away by how much of an impression this man, you had no idea who he was and he was there in his white blazer and he cut his really passionate kind of Hall of Fame speech about you know, bad times don't last, but bad guys do. And you were straight away like, who is this guy? <laughs> and he's like, you know, 55 there, whatever. And he's so handsome. Yeah. And pretty impressive. It's like. amazing. Like, that guy has aged spectacularly. So we decided to watch the documentary that would be made about him last year, which is Living on a Razor's Edge, which kind of set out to not just talk about Scott's kind of, uh, his wrestling career, but also to try and explain some of his dark past or some of his backstory. Now, usually speaking on like on how to, I never wanted to be like, right, let's just talk about all the fucking horrible shit yeah. that's happened to someone. You like to leave that at the very end, like during the recording, so that I like cry openly <laughs> on the microphone. Totally on purpose. But I think with with, with Scar Hall, like, and with this documentary, they did kind of try and underpin a lot of you know, his ups and his downs on a really tragic event that happened with Scott quite early on in his life. Yeah, they literally start, the documentary opens with a picture of a newspaper, which the headline is, Scott Hall attempts murder. Were you shocked by Yes, I was so shocked. Because <laughs> like, okay, coming into this episode, what did I know about Scott Hall? Obviously I knew he was a hunk. I knew he was very handsome. I knew he had cool cool look yeah <laughs> i'm really hammering this home <laughs> <laughs> but i also know from doing how to ddp that he had these demons and he had real trouble with alcohol and mm. drug abuse and obviously ddp helped save him so, so if ddp is going to save you there's probably a good chance that you've had yeah some horrible background yeah yeah i mean for me as uh you know when i was became a wrestling fan i remember being enamored with scott hall when i first would have seen him but then for most of the time i've been a fan it's been like Scott Hall, you didn't talk about Scott Hall because of all oh, Scott's great matches or what Scott up to. It's kind of like, oh, is Scott Hall dead yet? That's horrible. You know? And that's what it was for him for, for, for many, many years. And that was kind of really, really like sad that he had these... Like, I know a lot of wrestlers have demons, and that yeah. is how uh, WWE has kind of branded, you know, <laughs> demons. Horrible mental illness. Yeah, it's, it's much easier to talk about mental illness when you actually, you know, make them into a monster. Look at these ones, they draw the demons. That's the demon that is after him. But, I mean, I think it's important though, that they talked about this, um, this homicide, the, the second-degree murder charge mm. and whatnot, because I never knew this until like two years ago. Seriously, like it was it was a matter of public record, but it wasn't something that Scott ever talked about. I watched I mean, countless I, interviews of him; he never mentioned it. I'm not surprised. I mean, you wouldn't, would you? Why would you ever want to drag that up? And it's very obvious from the bat that a lot of what Scott went through and a lot of his self destructive behavior, I think a lot of it seems to stem from the fact that he had this huge unresolved part of his life. So yeah, a lot of um, what happens in his life kind of comes back to this kind of moment where, where this happened. He was working as a bouncer, I think, uh, a strip club at the time. Yeah, and he got into some dispute over a girl. 
where her boyfriend came out in the parking lot and tried to fight him. He had a gun? Yeah, so he pulled his top up and Scott Hall saw that he had a gun. And then this is where there are different versions of the story. Yeah. The first documentary we watched explains that what happened was that the guy pulled out his gun, Scott tried to grab the gun off him to take it away from him and then hit him on the back of the head with the gun to try and like knock him out. Mm. The gun then went off and he accidentally shot him in the head. Yeah. Killing him. Now, in the ESPN documentary that we also watched... And that documentary, the ESPN 60 doc on Scott, that that was done in the height of Scott's troubles. Like, it would have been in 2012, 2013, before he kind of had any dealings with DDP. This is when there was just videos of him, you know, stumbling around and indie shows were coming out. So, different mindset, I guess. But, I yeah. suppose. But they literally, in that one, they just... They don't mention him trying to hit the guy with the gun. Yeah. They just say, he pulled his gun off him and shot him in the head. Those are two very different scenarios. Seriously very different. And like the whole thing with it is that he never got charged. There was like, insufficient evidence, I yeah. think, to convict him. He's like he's he's described like throughout the documentary. He's like, there was points in my life where literally all I thought about every single moment of every single day yeah. was that. Like, yeah, he said that like for pretty much his whole life, every single day, that was what he thought about. Like, it's what he woke up thinking. Oh, that's horrible. There are so many instances in wrestling where it's like, Wrestling seems to draw in, like, I think we mentioned before when we talked about, you know, Roddy Piper, like, damaged people seem to be drawn into the world of wrestling. Absolutely. In fact, it's quite interesting that he does mention in this documentary that both his parents were alcoholics, his mm. grandparents were alcoholics, and his dad said to him at quite a young age, like, you will fall to this disease. Like, it happens to everyone in our family. So you've just got to be careful about how far you fall. And, I mean, to us, it's quite easy to look back and be like, why would you go into wrestling of all the careers <laughs> where literally every troubled, damaged, drug addict and alcoholic goes? It's just, you know, drawing trouble to trouble. But I suppose back then, you, you just see the stardom and you see well, all the girls yeah. and you see all the fame and the glory and you just think, wow. He, he would go to the local shows and he would just see, you know, he was down in Florida where he, where he was as a young adult and he would just go to these shows and he would see, yeah, all these guys were massive stars. They were treated like total celebrities. Like women were absolutely enamored with them and his friends were all like, Hey, you're taller than you yeah. know, your man over there. So you can see straight away how one would be be drawn in. It's very, very alluring, the world of wrestling, for, for someone in that situation. Definitely. I think like his, his upbringing is really, really like interesting. He was like an army brat, so his dad was in the Air Force, which meant that he kind of moved from base to base. Oh, right. So he like, wasn't in any one place for like more than a year at a time. That must be hard. And I, like, I remember hearing, you know, watching some more shoot interviews with Scott for research for this and him talking like... He go to a friend's house, like, and he's like seven or eight years old, and he's like, "What's going on? Your dad's not drinking, like, you know, doesn't your dad like drink as soon as he comes home? Like, just what he thought was a normal family life was so different between the fact that his parents were both, you know, struggling with alcoholism and also the fact that they were moving around. I can't imagine like there's a worse combination for for growing up. Like, yeah. parents have these problems and also Never we're moving. Never settled home. Yeah. Oh Jesus, That's fucking horrid. Hard. So I think it's not on purpose, but I think it is certainly very, very funny that for like the twenty millionth time in as many episodes, we're now going to talk about how yeah he was in Florida and guess he was a big influence and mentored him and helped get him on his feet. Only on dusty roads. Fucking hell, man. He's busy, isn't he? That dusty. I mean, I've always known that Dusty Roads is like mentored everybody. I think it's just the fact that I have to like. Keep he really turning has. to you. Or be he like, really has mentored. Yeah, literally everyone. And it's not like 
you know, a, one certain type of person or, or wrestler. Even one generation. Because, like, that's the amazing thing. I didn't... He's it's covered so many. <laughs> I know. Like, from Scott Hall in the 70s, right up to, like, you know... Guys in to, NXT. Yeah. Up to his death. Mm. Yeah, guys like Bailey and everyone. It's funny, because there's a lot of people who can mentor someone if they are a particular type of wrestler yeah like I think if you're going to be a big monster heel there's no one better to have in your ear than say Vince McMahon because he knows what that's meant to come off as and he's made a, a very successful business out of making a lot of those stars but Dusty Rhodes could look at someone like a Scott Hall and see all the different you know factors like the charisma and yeah. also the size and and like kind of put all that together and channel it in a certain direction and then like look at someone like Paul Heyman who is from the completely other side of the wrestling world but still an important part and help channel that as well it's fucking fascinating it's so interesting I cannot wait for the inevitable how to Dusty Rhodes I feel like Dusty Rhodes can have separate episodes for yeah. <laughs> his mentoring and also for his wrestling because keep in mind he also had his own successful yeah, wrestling that's career the other thing that's like mind blowing and not only like <laughs> wrestling career where he was an actual wrestler but like he did all these other bits in the background as well yeah anyway this isn't how to Dusty Rhodes, it's how to Scott Hall. But I think it's worth bearing in mind that yes, Scott, throughout the dock, and anytime he has a half a chance, if he could praise Dusty Rhodes, he will. Like, he just yeah. speaks so highly of him. So, not only was Scott going to these wrestling shows and kind of having, you know, people pointing out to him, hey, you're bigger than these wrestlers, but he also had a lot of wrestlers coming up to him in gyms. <laughs> and if you're working a bouncer in a strip club, wrestlers are going to come in, and if they see the bouncers, like, holy shit, there's going to be a lot of wrestlers we'll talk about in the future who started life bouncing at a strip club that's like where <laughs> where most wrestlers of the 90s were born it seems he was brought in as well and another another weird instance of recurring themes the AWA struggling on its last legs who do they bring in Scott Hall <laughs> who was billed in his early years as being the Tom Selleck lookalike accurate except he's more <laughs> handsome than Tom Selleck I think he looks like Tom Selleck thought he looked like yeah wish he looked like like Tom Selleck is probably in his mansion now somewhere withering away his older years Trolling through pictures of Scott Hall and the AWA going, man, I looked so good in Magnum P.I. back then. Yeah, he did, man, that's just fucking... I had to go back and revisit it because when this was revealed on the documentary and then I had to go and show you the Wrestle Rock Rumble just to show it to you again, <laughs> who is Big Scott Hall's tag team partner in the AWA? It's only my boy, Mr. Perfect. Were you happy to see the pairing? Very happy. Because he doesn't exactly come up often, does old Kurt Hennig. No, he doesn't. He's kind of, a lot of the time he's kind of been to himself because he's yeah. not been maybe in a lot of, you know, pairings and tag teams over the years. But AWA, it was Kurt Hennig and Big Scott Hall. The tag team champs will take on them all. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of cute boys. That's what they are. Do you know what you said when he appeared on screen? They showed him and Kurt Hennig. I do. I wrote, yeah, I, I wrote down, Hand clapping for a minute, and then what did you say when they had the picture of them? I said it's Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. Oh! It is! Because <laughs> one of them had a moustache. Yeah, Tyler Bate is Scott Hall, and Pete Dunne is <laughs> Kurt Hennig. Honestly, well, okay, we'll track down that picture. Yeah. It looks like them, but, you know, 20 years ago. I thought it was cool to see the two of them there together, because, like, those are two awesome personalities. Yes. If you could imagine though AWA they're like the two shit hot stars and they're getting a lot of attention in the company as it's kind of winding down in some ways and the ominous words from Scott 
Kurt Hennig taught me how to have fun. Uh-uh. Pills and booze? Okay, man. They fucking party like it was nobody's business in those days. Oh, jeez. I always imagine it's like a... It's like a scary combo when you're like someone who's that fucking big doing yeah. so many like... Because I, I watch documentaries with Kevin Nash and he's like, oh, I stayed away from like cocaine and a lot of the pills because, you know, when you're seven foot and you've got a family con- history of heart conditions, you want to stay away from mm-hmm. that stuff. But I mean, guy, you know, we said it before, guys in the 80s, they went fucking hard. They did, yeah. You know? You know what's really wild here, though, is that Scott Hall's only, like, 21. Yeah, he's so young. So young. So crazy young. Like, not to say he looks old or anything, but he looks like, you know, a grown-ass man. He looks like he's an adult who has, like, been around the block. He doesn't look like someone in his early 20s who, you know, has a murder charge that happened last year. Yeah. You gotta imagine what was going through the head at that point in time. I mean, lots of drugs and alcohol. I imagine to try and get rid of those ever going through that head. That's like seriously, like it's it's a huge thing throughout, like in you know, resting in the eighties and the nineties. Like it's such a different business now. Yeah. It's like and for the better. He was gonna quit wrestling because he wasn't like making it big. And Scott was always very upfront that one of the main reasons and primary focuses was he wanted to make money. Right. And even though there's a lot of other wrestlers who've you know, had that adage. I think Scott, because he was always so creative, his bottom line was always, it's, you know, it's about the money. You know, if I'm not making money and it's not fun, it's not worth it. If it's not fun and I'm making money, it is worth it. Mm. If I'm having fun and not making money, it's not worth it. Right. It's always very upfront and quite business-like about that. And that kind of served him well sometimes and not so well other times. But he was going to quit until his wife got pregnant and he decided, you know, I need a lot more money. So he managed to get a hookup and get into WCW with a new gimmick. Thanks to DDP. I know, it's the Diamond Stud. <laughs> Gives his excellent advice. He tells him to rebrand, get rid of the moustache, dye your hair black, become a new Stone Cold Hunk in a different way. He had a, comp- it was like a different man. Transformation. You, could, I mean, I, I don't know if, I, if you hadn't told me that's the same person I don't think I would have known <laughs> and I gotta love as well when he's coming out with his rip off outfit and DDP's like he is six foot five of twisted steel and sex appeal <laughs> <laughs> which is just brilliant he just had he had so much of the look there the, the stubble yeah. the stubble beard which was like not something you saw with regressors either had to be clean cut or they had the big sex porn stash or a big dirty beard. There was none of this like stubble. That's Oh, I love the stubble. And a lot of wrestlers in the nineties would adopt, you know, that look that with a lot of the stubble and stuff like that. Never and pull it off as well though, will they? No. Yeah, I think it's always gonna be known as like Scott Hall had that yeah. proper five o'clock shadow. And a huge part as well, which is the toothpick. Yes. I don't know why it is so entertaining and such a huge part of his character. But when we put up the the tweet for How To Scott Hall, we were like, the toothpick, man. So cool. That's one of the things that made me enamored with him, was that he had the toothpick. It's like quite scary for me to think, if I was aware of Scott Hall as a young teenager, Mm. I would be even more obsessed with him then as I am now. Because actually, I used to do the whole... I used to chew on a toothpick. Really? Because I thought it was really cool, and I used to keep it behind my ear. Ah. I would have been so in love with him, I would have thought he was the coolest guy ever. I adored, like, every... The start of, like, most of Scott's matches... The toothpick comes out, he looks around left to right, and he'll just reel back. And the person's always like, you're not actually going to throw a fucking toothpick. And then he just throws it right at them, and he'll do a big, ah, ha, ha, ha. If he's a good guy or a bad guy, a face or a heel, it doesn't matter. He'd always fucking <laughs> And it was great. I remember I watched, there was a match recently. It was like, 
him, Hogan, and Bischoff were all in the ring, and he, he threw one at Hogan, and then like, he got one from his back pocket and <laughs> threw it at Bischoff. He's had infinite toothpicks, man. Like. Everywhere on his body. <laughs> Simple, like, but like gimmicks like that are like the best of the world yeah. because. Uh, hey, if I went to see an indie show and Scott Hall, literally all he did was throw a toothpick in someone's face, I'll consider myself satiated. Yeah. Supposed to, if I want to go see a lot of other wrestlers, I want to expect them to do a big scary move or, you know, take a big scary bump. Diamond Dallas Page gave him the toothpick idea as well, right? Yes, yeah. So cool. DDP, it was like very crazy. Like, uh, similarities between the two, both very creative. DDP, obviously, uh, having tried every single gimmick on earth at the same time, was like... I've got one spare. It's going to be giant sacks of sack like of gimmicks. You ever like have a guy come to school who's like there to like make learning fun for one day and he's got all these like <laughs> massive fucking luggage of all this like gimmicks and shit. That's what DDP must have been like. I mean, he had like a big massive bus just to carry around all this shit. That he had. This big floppy hat you could wear. No, don't really like that hat. You could be the you could be the diamond stud. Here's a toothpick and also a diamond pickaxe <laughs> and also a hat with a light on it and a, also some coal miners gloves. <laughs> There's a little wizard, a weird little wizard in the background at one point, and you wouldn't tell me about it. Okay, so please explain the tiny weird wizard. I can say right now, Joe's not like using the Twitter as often, so if there's going to be lots of like spoiler tweets, I I think I can shield you from them because you don't get Twitter at work. But Joe was uh, caught a glimpse of Oz. Um, you at home might know who that is, and I'm not telling Joe who that is just this yet. This is so unfair. But he's just nonchalantly, he's like, yeah, Scott Hall going through the ranks in WCW, and it's him walking out, and there's just a wizard behind him. Like pretending he's not even there. Look, you, we just got to ignore that little wizard. <laughs> you were very obsessed with the wizard. Because I am obsessed with wizards generally. That's like part of my brand. I yeah, don't talk about much on this podcast because why would it come up? But wizards are my thing. Yeah, we flipped a coin. It was either going to be how to wrestling as our podcast, or it was going to be wizards. how to wizards. And, and Joe I teach talks you to me about wizards. All the wizard types. <laughs> <laughs> so what I will say is, fans at home, let's just keep it a secret between you and I for now. Are we going to get how to Oz? We're going to get how to Oz soon enough in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. So. Is he supposed to be the little wizard behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> yes. Is he actually? All right, I can't say anymore. And you're forbidden from going on YouTube, young lady. You're not allowed to look up about this wizard man. So. At many points during this documentary, they interviewed Eric Bischoff. And it's a running joke between me and Kevin, because we obviously have to watch a lot of these documentaries. And for you at home, if you watch along with us, just pay attention to how Eric Bischoff is a shapeshifter. <laughs> Every goddamn time they interview him, he looks completely different. So in this documentary, he looked like Spike from Buffy. <laughs> so for me, it's okay because like I just know that yeah, Bischoff. You know, he had you know, his different phases. He had his black hair, then he had his white hair, then he went back to black, then he went shaved white, then he went long white. Like for me, it's fine. I know the twelve or twenty different looks of Eric Bischoff. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like following changes. someone from The Only Way Is Essex who keeps changing all their looks. I keep up with Bischoff, so I'm fine you know but for a new uninitiated fan it must be very very it's very confusing because they'll interview him assuming that you know who he is and i'll be like so who's that then you're like eric bischoff in the next documentary who's that eric bischoff how is that eric bischoff as well as the other one they can't all be have you ever seen them in the same room that's the real question eric bischoff would totally be a baddie and they live wouldn't he oh yeah i'm just saying like if we put on the glasses we saw eric bischoff He's a skeleton he would talk into his little watch and like have a special little ufo take him away that <laughs> son of a bitch i am really fascinated to talk about bischoff 
with you at some point in the future. We're going to get how to Bishop. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. A, com- a, a completely different but very necessary episode, I oh, think, cool. to look at him. I have a question about Scott Hall's radical gimmick change and look change. Yeah. Did fans, because obviously, I, like I said, I don't think I'd have been able to tell that it was the same guy. Did fans know it was the same person? If fans knew, they didn't care. Like, I mean, because Scott was a, was a wrestler in the AWA, and the AWA was mostly a regional promotion that had some national appeal, but it was mostly best based in, like, Minnesota. So, in places like Minnesota, obviously, you know, that's big Scott Hall. But the reality was, was that WCW, where he went to, based down in the south, places like Georgia and, and whatnot, that would be more where they were the Carolinas and Georgia and whatnot. So most of the fans, if they did even know that it was Scott Hall, probably wouldn't have recognised him because most of those WCW fans wouldn't necessarily have been AWA fans. Right. You'd still have your super smart mark fans like we have these days, but I think the reality is is that if he just showed up as regular Scott Hall, the bookers would have been, oh, he was a you know in AWA, so you can't be here. So I think that's just why... It was more right. in the eyes of the bookers than the fans necessarily that they were a bit worried about. But oh, I see. I think most fans didn't know, and those that did probably didn't care because even though he was like a tag champ in the AWA, when he was the diamond stud, and we talked about how much DDP struggled. Yeah. He was DDP's henchman, so you can imagine how low down the pecking order the diamond stud was. God. He was the guy that got bet up on DDP's behalf. Like he was quite low down. And he wasn't happy in his original run WCW. He said in the documentary he called WWE once a week for a year. Wow. Once a week for a year. Like, it's crazy. It's so funny. Like, in wrestling at the time, it seems like the number one way you got a chance in wrestling was having a friend who you used to work with at another company work for the company that you now want to work for. Yeah. And Mr. Perfect was now in WWF. And of course, he put in a good word with them and they're like, fine, bring this lad in. Let's see what he's all about. Vince McMahon didn't know who the Diamond Stud was, obviously. And Scott was pretty adamant. He was like, look, I will do whatever you want. You know, I I want to be in WWE because that's where the big money was. They were the number one at the time. But he pitched a very, very interesting gimmick to Vince McMahon, which is quite interesting. Like, it kind of exposes a bit about Vince's lack of knowledge outside the wrestling world. It explains a lot. So he told him about Scarface, and Vince McMahon had never seen Scarface, but he he loved the idea. And it's so funny to me because of the whole. I know Vince has been rather impressed by like blatant ripoffs of Pirates of the Caribbean's yeah. Johnny Depp character Captain Sparrow, <laughs> and like not probably realised that it's like knockoff of oh yeah that's, source material. That, that's funny when you mentioned about the the wrestler. There was a wrestler who was given like a, a Captain Jack Sparrow gimmick, and Vince fucking loved it. Did he get, he hadn't ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean? he never seen it. Then they were on the plane once on the jet and Pirates of the Caribbean was shown and Vince was like, get rid of his character and they got, literally they cut his gimmick straight away because Vince straight away realised it was like nicked. But like, it, there was, you know, in there was a wrestler whose character was basically Ben Stiller from Dodgeball. I mean, there's wrestling... WWE particularly takes from movies all the time. I do wonder how many gimmicks people have shown to Vince without him knowing the source material. And he's just been like, I love it. It's amazing. Scott was really upfront about it. Yeah. But I think Scott, and one of the things what made people like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and to a lesser extent people like Shawn Michaels and stuff, what made them important or valuable to Vince is the fact that they hadn't been living in an echo chamber for the last 20 years. They knew what the outside world was into and in 1992 having a wrestler in WWF which was a bit cartoony who was doing fucking Scarface like you need to see the bad guy 
Razor's the bad guy and like do all these like really fucking like he's this horrible fucking dude from Miami this Cuban dude who's just fucking horrid it's based on like a drug lord essentially we watched some of the little clips of Razor Ramona's like debut vignette and it's just him being a total dick like walking around going your life is so good when you're Razor Ramon it's like shove someone in a pond like <laughs> eat an apple and spit it in their face there's one where he like tells a couple of kids to go and steal from a shop for him and he's like <laughs> and then he like eats all the candy in front of them he's like ha ha never trust Razor what a heel it doesn't end here Scott actually I mean I can say this now we've seen some matches with him you know Sting has a gimmick that was like the crow essentially the the face yeah. and the look and all that do you know who told him hey go do the crow it's super popular it was Scott Hall oh wow so Sting was struggling with his character needed something new and he was like yo I've just seen this movie it's super popular it's fucking awesome fucking do that Oh my god, I don't know which to be more impressed by the fact that Scott Hall suggested Sting's gimmick or the fact that he loved the crow. <laughs> Scott Hall has you know, his special eyes that that, <laughs> that weird lady's gonna go and, and get off of him. So, But Scott and Vince immediately had quite a close relationship because of uh, the creativity. And that is something that Vince always like cherishes. It's like, if you are someone who pitches ideas that he understands... You know, because there's a lot of people who pitch stuff to Vince and he's like, yeah, good job, pal. It doesn't Fire him. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of a two-way street with Scott. And I think, you know, there was a, a close bond between the two of them as a result of that. Brings us to our first match we decided to watch. And I think this is kind of shows an important aspect of Scott Hall as Razor Ramon, his character. He had been this big, nasty heel that was just going around bullying people. He'd been in a few main events. And he's then decided on Raw he has to face against... Some random jabroni, some little boy, and the boy is called Kid. So we decided to watch Razor Ramon taking on Kid from Monday Night Raw in 1993. Kid confused me because, well, he's called so many different things. So I've got him written down here as the 123 Kid. Yeah. He was also known as Kid. Right. He's also known as Kid Lightning or the Lightning Kid. But do you not know who Kid actually is? No. He's someone who's quite close with Scott and has been interviewed in this documentary. Really? That's X-Pac. What? Yeah, Kid is X-Pac. What? <laughs> How did I watch a full match and I didn't even realise that? Oh my god. Now, here's a message for men of the world who have goatees. If you stop having goatees, no one will recognise you. Seriously? <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a young X-Pac. One Holy of his, shit. He was a jobber for WWE. He was, you know, used to just come in and lose matches and whatnot. And this was like a big, big uh, moment God, for him I, here. I kind of see it now you say that. Yeah. Yeah, you can see wow. the long face, like. He's got, yeah, because he, he's got quite a Daniel Bryan look, I think. Yes. A young X-Pac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Interesting wow. one. This is so interesting. This is the 17th ever episode of Monday Night Raw. Wow, that's weird. Scott Hall's a big honk here. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm going to say that every match. I love his entrance music. It's, it's one of my so favourite ones. Sexy music. You got the big long tire screech. And I think it's the bit that has the synth. Yeah. Like very few wrestlers had like that kind of John Carpenter synth. So he had it cool. and Jake Roberts had it, but I just love that. It's such a cool classic. Yeah, it's it's yeah. different. It's timeless. Like yeah. it's, a lot of the ones at the time are a little bit like you look at Shawn Michaels' entrance music and it's really like hokey nineties. <laughs> but oh man, Razor's music is brilliant. So Razor is ridiculously strong in this match. He's just fucking throwing poor little kid around. And we got to see one of the best things about Scott Hope, which is his horrid, horrid, horrid chops. Wow, they are terrifying. They're so loud. I just the whole 
every match we watched for this, I couldn't believe that he wasn't actually just beating the living shit out of his opponent. Because <laughs> those chops are so loud. We, there was one of the matches we watched later and you were like, wow, that's like the loudest chop I think I've ever heard. And I was like, hang on a second. I went straight onto YouTube. The loudest chop. Yeah, it's like, there's there's great. If there's ever like me, there's like there's videos that have been on YouTube that you're in your favourites like seven years ago. And most of them are gone now. But there's a few little grains of truth that are still left there. And fuck yes, the loop of Scott Hall chopping Disco Inferno who was a wrestler who had a disco gimmick with the oh, lo- with the loudest chop ever is still there that beautiful 50 second loop the best thing about that clip is the chop breaks the sound barrier <laughs> and causes an actual delay you watch the video and you see him chop it and two seconds later you hear the <laughs> I like as well is that Disco tries to do a chop first he's like let me show you how it's done and then Scott's like uh uh whoosh <laughs> Falcon Chop! <laughs> but you get to see loads of Razor stuff here, like him coming out, him doing like the, the surf walk where he kind of walks slow. That's what I love about him, he walks slow to the he ring. He takes his time, yeah. He's got all the gold, he takes it off very carefully, he gives it to the ring announcer, he's like, don't drop that, Chico. <laughs> Call everyone Chico as well, that was his thing. In this match as well, it kind of comes out of nowhere where he's beating the shit out of Kid. Kid was actually, in this match, knocked loopy. He, he took a bad fall and was like completely out of it. Oh, jeez. It's meant to do just like a quick roll-up. And he goes over to pick him up and he goes, let's do a moonsault. So he goes into the corner <laughs> and goes, whoop, moonsault, and pins him. One, two, three. And that's how he gets the, the gimmick and the name of the one, two, three Kid. Oh. Because he beat Razor. No one beat Razor, particularly not a little jobber jabroni like this. That'd be like if someone rolled up kind of like a Braun Strowman on Raw and then managed to beat him in like, what? No one does that. And there's a number of ways you can do that. And most times in wrestling, when like a big scary bad guy has like a you know slips on a banana peel and loses, then they get up and they beat the shit out of the guy. Yeah. It's like he's the he's the man. But what does Razor do here? He gets up and he's like, "What the fuck?" And kid runs away and he dives after him and he just misses him. And they have a great feud on the back of that. And like that's one cool thing about Scott is that he knew that if it was right. He had no problems losing. Yeah. He would lose. He says he didn't care as long as he could page. You know, he'd lose no matter what. And he got a lot of heat later on in 1997 in WCW when he proposed doing pretty much the exact same match mm. where big Scott Hall, part of the NWO, untouchable, he loses in a complete fluke to Chris Jericho, who was just a young boy at the time. Oh. And Jericho actually had to teach Scott how to do the roll-up because he didn't know how. <laughs> But I think that's just cool is that he was willing, you know, Hogan wouldn't do that. Like, no, fucking fuck lose, you know? <laughs> no, let alone suggest it. Yeah, I think it's really, really I something. think that's such an important skill. I, I do believe it's a skill to yeah. be able to, you know, put your own ego aside and look at the bigger picture and be like, this is going to make an awesome match and this is going to be fantastic for the fans. And even though this is like a match which, by all intents and purposes, it's like two, three minutes long, yeah. like, it's remembered in history because it's like, that's the night that. The kid upset Razor Ramon, and he's there screaming in front of the announcers, and Match is like, "Hey man, you lost, brother. I'm totally a human." Definitely not, Macho Man Randy Savage. You're not a human. He's an alien. There's, that's a human skin you're wearing. We need to get inside. There's a messed up alien in there. When we do a Macho Man episode, I think we need to get some like alien conspiracy theorist on who can talk about like you know. Aliens, <laughs> man. Hey, for his artwork, can we get like Dan to draw him like his alien form escaping from his <laughs> ear or something? <laughs> what rating did you give this short but important match? 
I gave it three out of five stars. It was a really good match, but it's a little bit short. Like like you said, it's like three minutes long. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to watch it unless you want like a really short little match to just pop on quickly. But if you want to settle down for like a proper learning about Scott Hall, maybe not this one. I think what was really important around this point as well was that they started talking about the click. Had you ever heard of the click before it's like kind of a an ominous cloud that hangs over mid-90s wrestling no i've never heard of the click so the click and they may probably very well get their own episode down the line but the click was a group of very like-minded wrestlers in wwf at the time and in the click there was scott hall kevin nash Shawn michaels sean waltman aka x-pac or the one two three kid and the new guy to the company who they thought, you know, really was great at wrestling and also he was a teetotaler so he could drive them around, Triple H. Oh, Triple H was a teetotaler. Triple H is a teetotaler. He's never drunk alcohol or done any drugs in his entire life. Completely, no, none of that for him. I've never heard this before. Yeah, Triple H is a total sober dude. So the clique were known for a couple of things. Number one, they're all very like-minded. They all thought each other was the funniest person in the world. They loved traveling on the road together. That was their favorite thing. Something about the clique though, is that a lot of wrestlers looked on them very unfavorably. Because you had a group that contained a lot of very big names, mm. big up and coming names, who as we've mentioned as well, all had the ear of Vince McMahon and kind of had him convinced they knew what the fans wanted and they knew what was cool and what was in. So the clique decided they were gonna look out for each other. Because remember we talked about it in Roddy Piper before that sometimes some of the promoters were essentially taking advantage of a lot of the wrestlers yeah. in terms of I'm not going to tell you how much this guy is, is making or I'm not going to tell you how much the bonuses were. The click, because most of them were in the main event, like Sean was the champion or Diesel was the champion or you know Razor was the IC champion. They're always working with each other. They would turn to each other and go, how much did you get? For your main event tonight, and go well. I got ten grand. He's like, well, that's fucking shit because I wrestled you for the same amount of time, and I only got two grand. Vince, how come Sean got ten grand and I got two grand? Oh well, pal, maybe we'll both give you ten grand. And there we go. So they were breaking down some of those barriers in terms of the secrecy, and they oh, would be like, "That's like the closest to a union it's, that yeah. they've ever had." <laughs> a lot of people will probably disagree with that because on the other end, it's like, "Well, who's Sean going to say he wants to work with to Vince?" He's going to say he wants to work with, with Diesel or Razor or, you know, he wants to work with people within the clique. Yeah. People like Bret Hart or The Undertaker who are outside of that bubble greatly resented those guys because they felt that the company was being steered in a direction that was kind of for their benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's a very fair point. Mm. It's kind of, you would think, could you not maybe have looked out for all the other wrestlers and like maybe maybe actually have made a union and maybe, yeah maybe actually have been a little bit more transparent about everyone's salary but i guess you know you'll look out for number one don't you yeah and they were i mean that's i think the most important thing to bear in mind is that they were looking out for themselves they mm. had a fucking all they loved partying they loved being on the road but they were all about making money as well that's kind of was at the top of most of their agendas particularly Hall and Nash they were like fucking obsessed with with, with making the top guy money and that's why Scott Hall was like that's why he came to the company was to, to make the big big money I've described the click here in my notes as a group of very progressively minded wrestlers who managed to annoy everyone around them in the process <laughs> as a result of the click you ended up having these guys embattled in big long feuds with big high profile matches. Our next match is the by far the most requested match for this episode of How to Scott Hall. I think we had dozens and dozens of people suggesting this one. It's the iconic ladder match from WrestleMania 10 for the Intercontinental Championship. Razor Ramon taking on the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. 
Had you ever heard about this match no. previous to it? Now, a lot of people were really interested to hear what you think of this one now because you've seen how many live, how many live matches have we watched for the pay-per-view reviews this year alone? I don't know. I'd say loads. loads. <laughs> In the last year, we've done at least 10 or 12 ladder matches, I'd yeah. say, on, on how to wrestling on the pay-per-view reviews on, on Patreon. <laughs> this is the first proper ladder match. Like, or ever? They had some on like some non-televised events and whatnot, but this is the first like pay-per-view ladder match that was built up as being the big fucking deal. That's amazing. That must be so scary being like the first like, because now you, you think, you look back, you're like, oh, look at all these terrifying ladders. You can watch the tapes, off. yeah. Like, well, you know, mostly they're fine. They're not going to, like, you know, probably haven't broken their necks usually. Yeah. You're the first ever. It's kind of scary. so scary. Yeah, absolutely. So this match is from WrestleMania 10, and we've actually watched a match from this pay-per-view previously. Do you remember what it was? Um, WrestleMania 10... It was from, think about guys from around this time. It wouldn't have been DDP, would it? No. It wouldn't have been WWE oh, at the time. Oh, 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 Owen Hart? Yes, yeah. Versus Bret Hart. Yes, that, yes. Was, that was the opening on this pay-per-view. Oh my god, yes. Pretty good pay-per-view. <laughs> Seriously, can I go back in time, please, and watch this whole pay-per-view? So in this match, there are two Intercontinental Championship belts hanging above the ring. So to explain that for anyone who's watching and wondering what's going on there, did they get two belts back then and get two checks that way? No, it was because Shawn Michaels had to vacate the Intercontinental belt because of injuries, and he came back, and in the meantime, Scott had already won the Intercontinental Championship that was vacant, and Sean's like, I'm the real champion, and Scott's like, I'm the real champion. So they decided to have a match and hang both belts above the ring. Interesting about this, as you mentioned, there's obviously not many ladder match videos that they can watch to uh, (laughs) figure out what to do. Also, as well, is the incredibly real-ass ladders they had. No. When they look... Do you see, like, how they were not, like, our current day... I don't know. Current-day ladders look pretty real. I know they're not, but they look it. These ones buckled when they... Like, there's a point when Scott, like, turns and the ladder's like... Oh, God. That's so scary. What, they're made from, like, solid steel? They're, like, proper old-timey ladders. Yeah. Fuck's sake. That's... Ugh, this must be so painful. They actually had a rematch, a ladder match rematch, these guys. We'll watch it later on, I, I guess, it's like as, as extra viewing. But in that match, like literally one of the ladders, like it got twisted and they couldn't climb up it anymore. They had to go and get another ladder because oh it, it was actually broken. So when Razor came out, you were very enamored with the whole package of the look. He's a shiny hunk. He's got the gold and the black on here. And what I love so much about it is that when Shawn Michaels comes out, he goes oh no no and he walks around the ladder because he's superstitious yeah. and Razor he surf walks right underneath it fuck superstition <laughs> fuck bad luck I'm Razor Ramon he, he's in, he already has bad luck because he's a bad guy man like. <laughs> there was a really really harsh myth surrounding this match and this myth was perpetrated when Scott was on the outs with the company and a lot of wrestlers wrote in their books about this saying that this match is always praised as being so great well this match was just Shawn Michaels versus the ladder. Shawn just wrestled around the ladder in Scott Hall and did all this cool shit. And Scott Hall just happened to be there. I was fortunate Wait, enough. who's saying this? There's a lot of people who said it. People like Ric Flair, some of the older, uh, old-timey wrestlers at the time when Scott was on the outs were like making out that, yeah, Scott's not Fucking that big a deal. hell. Like, that is very unfair. It and takes two to tango. <laughs> like, okay, Shawn Michaels is absolutely amazing in this match. I mean, you know, I would not lie and say he's not. He, he's absolutely incredible. But Scott Hall has done 
amazing in this as well. Oh, yeah. They fucking beat the shit out of Shawn Michaels. Those strikes, again, oh, so loud. He pummeled him. That's what's great is that we finally get to see one of my favourite things about Razor is his punches. Oh. They, I think, are the best punches in wrestling. I think there's, yeah. there's no one better. Because we were watching some of these matches, folks, and this is the first time this has ever happened. When we're watching a match and there's a lot of punches and a lot of kicks, that's usually a recipe for a boring match. Yeah. And particularly, I guess, for a new fan, if they're just punching and kicking. Yeah, I've said so many times how much I hate Hulk Hogan because he does his punch, punch, kick. A lot of Scott's offense in this is a simple right hand. But the difference is, I feel if you're going to just do punches and kicks, you have to make them look goddamn real. He winds back and just... Bam! The stomp is perfect. He has his hands kind of like open, so I think he actually like almost does like a little bit of a... He does make a contact, but I think it's because... He must do, because you can hear it. Yeah, it's like the, the open wrist, I think, slapping against the side of the face makes that big like... Oh, it's brilliant. Looks so terrible. And because of Shawn Michaels being such a flippy boy... <laughs> Spinning just, around. Like, flies like, off <laughs> into the sky, sun, like. <laughs> It's fucking brilliant. Like, yeah, when he does like a big wind-up punch and... You know, Sean does the big spit out of his mouth, goes <laughs> flying. I love it. And yeah, people say, oh, Sean wrestled the ladder in this match. How fast is Sean Michaels? He's, yeah, amazing. And Razor is so much bigger yeah. than him. But I think just the fact that Scott is such a big guy and able to keep up this pace is really, really impressive. I think a lot of times because Scott stood beside Kevin Nash for most of his career, who is seven foot, yeah. you kind of forget how big Scott oh, I, is. I didn't forget how big Scott is. He's fucking huge. And at one point... Shawn Michaels climbs up the ladder and Scott Hall pulls his pants down. <laughs> and you see Shawn Michaels' bottom, a bare bottom. Is that why you like this match so much? He's got a literal bubble butt. It's the most <laughs> bubble butt I've ever seen in my life. That's great. You wouldn't see that these days, though, would no. you? Very few butts exposed, Very few butts. you yeah. know? This is the rare moment in time where WWE was sexualizing its male performers because Shawn Michaels loved having his ass exposed. <laughs> Shawn Michaels, loved yeah, exposing himself. But they had like no female wrestlers in the company, so yeah. Vince is like, "Well, oh, might as well have Shawn. He's kind of sexy. Any ass is good ass. <laughs> hey, as long as it's round, that's all I care about, pal." <laughs> I love those moments here as well, where you get like how much more dangerous wrestling was back in the day like Scott exposing the concrete oh god he rips up all the mats because I was yeah. like going oh look how thin the mats are John. and then he pulls them off <laughs> takes a horrible fucking spill onto that concrete like a splash yeah oh boy Shawn Michaels keeps climbing up the ladder and then getting like killed essentially like yeah. he keeps diving off and there's a moment where Razor is just about to grab the belt. It's one of my favourite moments of the match. And Sean dives off the turn and just like kicks the ladder just to, to knock him off. Sean innovated so much in this match. It's amazing the yeah. stuff that they did with the ladder. Like him doing the little springboard where he's on the ladder and he falls over and smushes yeah. him. You were screaming. like Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. That's amazing that, you know, people say that this is so toned down compared to the modern ladder match. Do they? Yeah, because people were convinced that you mightn't enjoy this one as much because, you know, last year at Extreme Rules we had Callisto doing backwards moonsault, Salida del Sol, through a ladder, off a ladder. <laughs> so how can you be excited by Shawn Michaels doing a splash off a ladder? Uh, I guess it takes more than just big moves. I think the crowd's reaction in this as well yeah, really makes it. wild. When they go up towards the ladder, you see everyone get out of their seats. They're like, fuck yeah, go, go, go. Yeah. They like... In one match, like, laid the blueprints of what these matches should be. And I think as well, one of the things that I particularly like about this match, which I have 
I take umbrage with in modern matches is it always bothers me in ladder matches where they really obviously slowly go up the ladder. Yeah, they're like and they're pretending, just wasting yeah. time. You know they're not going to make it up there. None of that in this. It's like when someone's going up for the ladder, they're like, they're going as quick as yeah. they can. Like, And even when Sean is like, or a razor or slow, you see them, they're like pulling themselves up as yeah. much as they can. Like they're really, there's a great pace in this. That Fantastic pace, there's, yeah. yeah. there's no downtime at all. There's an awesome moment where a razor just slam Sean off the top of the ladder and the ladder twists and they both fall over it's fucking <laughs> horrifying so Sean's on is he on the ladder and mm. then Razor pulls him off and yeah. then Sean lands on the ropes on his dick oh classic comedy wrestling moment there fantastic he lands on his dick and then he gets his foot caught in the ropes right <laughs> master of comedy wrestling then he manages to get his foot out of the ropes but meanwhile Scott Hall's making his way up the ladder right but he's all tired and exhausted because he's been thrown off the ladder so many times onto the hard concrete so he's all slow and then Shawn Michaels like, he gets his foot out but then his hand's stuck <laughs> it's like Mr. Bean like he literally he's like, like Mr. Bean and here we go and he's what? Like, what? <laughs> gets his hand free <laughs> oh man so Scott manages as Shawn is- that's why I love is like the latter match, I don't think it should be like, Ooh, the guy's been beaten up unconscious and now we just go up and get the Yeah, belt. that's boring. When they are trapped and yeah. they're like, no! Like, Sean literally looks like he's about to bite his own arm off like a rat tra- caught in a trap fly. It reminds me a lot of, um, we had a match recently with AJ Styles where he gets his foot caught yes, in the table. Yes, yes, yes. And then he falls off the ropes and it looks like he's actually really hurt himself. Like, it's so much like this. I love that. Just You can tell such a great story. And yeah. Razor climbs up top. He grabs both belts. It's and not like he pose. just takes them off either. Oh, no. He fucking pulls on them like with all his weight. <laughs> I think that's like one of the scariest pumps in the whole because yeah. it's it tells that story. It's like if you get up there to the top, and there's been times in wrestling where the lad has gotten to the top of the ladder and then he has spent at WrestleMania, a lad who won the Money in the Bank ladder match spent a legitimate ninety seconds trying to unhook it and just got I can't do it. And everyone sat down there kind of waiting for him. And the crowd, like, stop cheering. And then he finally unhooks it. Here, it's like, here are the belts. I need these to win. Scott just, all the body weight he can, just pulls down and fucking splats down. Yeah. I love that. It's just he would do anything to win. So cool. <laughs> this match is, like, one where I think if you see any video packages talking about how great WrestleMania is... Like, you know, it's like, I fucking love WrestleMania. Well, it's going to be showing the clip from what Owen Hart versus Brett and then this. It's, that's the thing, always, this yeah. WrestleMania is the best WrestleMania. WrestleMania 10, considering, like, how crappy the product was in large at the time, it's one of the best shows that they've ever done. But, yeah, so next time you see one, it's like, Jesus, lads, WrestleMania is great crack altogether, isn't she? It'll show you the clips of Sean doing the dive and Razor <laughs> doing the toss. So, how many stars did you give? I gave this... Five out of five stars. Whoa! I absolutely adored this match. This is absolute essential watching for every fan. So, just so we all know, we're all clear, unlike Just Eat and Dave Meltzer, Joe (laughs) operates on the traditional five star, (laughs) the five star rating. Compared to the modern wrestling ladder matches, how does it stand up? Did you think you were watching this kind of going... Well, they're not. They're not going through. Ta- there's no tables. There's no chairs. No. Will you find lacking in this match? No, obviously not, because I gave it five out of five stars. 
in my opinion, this is a perfect match. Whoa! It's absolutely amazing. The storytelling is so good. The wrestling itself is amazing. There's so many different styles. You've got the kind of the slower punch kick, but strong fucking stiffness from Scott. You've got the flip de doo from Shawn Michaels. Oh, it's a it's a great match. Big face and little heel. Yes. Is one of my favorite. The only way I like that more, I've mentioned it loads in the ITR podcast, when you've two big heels against two <laughs> little faces but big face against a little heel I absolutely love that yeah. dynamic it's fucking brilliant <laughs> these guys are on top of the world yeah you know this is coming like what two years after you were seeing the likes of Hogan and Ultimate Warrior plodding around and now you've got Michaels and Razor setting the bar with a ladder match this is like was really earth shattering stuff for I the time bet. And as a result, these lads were on top of the world. And one thing about the click, in addition to, you know, telling each other about pay and telling each other about, you know, match endings and contracts, they fucking hit the pills and booze way hard. And I think what was really interesting was that Shawn Michaels, who is now a teetotaler himself, he says, you know, we were telling ourselves this is just when we're on the road. Mm. You know, this isn't our life. We're just doing this on the road and they're on the road like 300 days a year oh no you know and, and Xbox was saying things in the you know the ESPN documentary it's like you're a big star you show up you're like oh let's have a few drinks and someone's like hey I've got a bag of cocaine do you want it it's, like, <laughs> it's free you're fine yeah you know and there's a lot of like really like sad stories like where Scott is talking about how the greatest problem he had was not ever needing to get up like doing things like cocaine and stuff it's the fact that you go out and you have a match like that WrestleMania 10 ladder match, and then you have to like fucking calm down and like, yeah. and that was where a lot of them started doing things like somas and muscle relaxants and whatnot, which is just to fucking chill out and be able to sleep after doing all this stuff. And that's it's a dangerous fucking road that they got went put themselves on as a result. Yeah. A problem that Scott had at the time was that his pay had essentially kind of plateaued. Vince, for whatever reason wasn't going to put the world belt on him it seems oh. and that was kind of was kind of a strange thing and a hard one for him to swallow particularly because you know Sean had the belt for like a year Diesel who was Kevin Nash had the belt for like a year you know Brett had the belt Undertaker had the belt like all the guys who you would put him in the category with yeah and Razor never got the world belt and that's real sad for someone who's as skilled in the ring both like like, in terms of, like, as a technical wrestler, Scott's actually, like, a lot better than people give him credit. Like, he's really got great timing and great selling and all that in the ring. And also, he understands the charisma and the psychology and the mic. For someone like him to never win a world belt is quite shocking. Considering yeah. that, like, you know, Roddy Piper was someone we talked about who never won a world belt. But, like, Roddy didn't need that because Roddy was all about talking on the mic and the matches weren't really as important. Mm. But Scott was... You know, he was pretty much a heavy hitter across the board on the mic, in the ring. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me explain why Vince McMahon didn't see him as being the top guy and give him that top That's pay. so odd to me because he just seems like such a natural star. He seems like so obvious. And he's like, big as well. That's what Vince... Like, yeah. He is Vince's he's Vince's perfect like, guy. ideal boy. Yeah. You know, Scott was like, look, if I don't make more money, I'm going to have to kind of look elsewhere. And he said he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay in the WWF, but... WWF at the time was not known for being particularly generous with the payouts. Right. They weren't giving guaranteed money. You would say, for instance, you know, if you go to TV, you know, you'll get a minimum of, you know, your downside guarantees. You might get a couple of grand regardless of what happens. But then anything extra in your pay is going to be merchandise and ticket sales, cut of the pay-per-view profits. So it was very much like kind of a, 
a dividend type system that they worked with in WWF. Over on the other side now, WCW, which now has Eric Bischoff running things now, and Eric Bischoff has convinced the owner of WCW, media mogul Ted Turner, that he needs to invest big money in WCW to compete with Vince. So they've got their own Nitro, which is going to run right opposite Raw. They're going to bring in all the top stars, give them big money, and they lured away people like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man by saying, here, look, come here and wrestle for us. You'll work less dates. You don't have to do house shows. And regardless of if you give us the greatest pay-per-view buy rate ever, or you sell a million t-shirts, or you sell two t-shirts, you have got a guaranteed contract that says, you, Scott Hall, if you work 150 days a year, will get a million dollars. Wow. That doesn't, that nothing is contingent on that other than you signing the bottom line. So him and Nash, at the same time, were given these very generous offers from WCW. Because WCW knew they could bring in people like Hogan and Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior. But those guys were all in their late 40s at this point. Mm. Hall and Nash were in their mid to late 30s. And they knew they were cool. Yeah. So Hogan knew that he needed someone cool to kind of be in his little group that they were going to do. (laughs) So they said to Vince, we don't want to go. Offer us more money, please. No matter what, just give us a little bit more money and match their offer. Come close to it. Give us less dates. And Vince is like, can't do it. Sorry. Wow. So off they go. Now, to show how shitty WCW were with their money and how lazy they were with their finance, at the time, an unsubstantiated rumour came out that Hall and Nash were actually going to re-sign with WWF instead of going to WCW, as was reported. And Eric Bischoff rang them up and literally gave them another cheque for like 300 grand each. And they just were, because of a rumor. And they didn't even know. They were like, yeah, guys, just so you know, you're getting that uh, special bonus signing. It'll be on your way soon. They're like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. So when we talk about WCW, the money was flowing like wine. <laughs> how come? I guess we'll cover that in How to WCW and we inevitably do it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's Bischoff was viewed as being a visionary, as being a guy who knew what he was doing. He was young. He was someone who had expertise in advertising and business as opposed to just wrestling, although he had been involved in wrestling. So Ted Turner and the upper-ups were impressed. They were like, fine, let's give him money. Because Turner's company owned things like CNN and loads of TV stations. They were a big media empire. They had millions. And Ted liked WCW at the time, so he gave them millions. It's a lot of fucking money. A lot of tall stacks. So Scott Hall ends up leaving the WWF and leaving his namesake behind, no longer Razor Ramon, now just Scott Hall. Do you know something really greasy that WWF did after they left? What? So Scott is gone, Diesel is gone, but WWF start running these little angles backstage. It's like, oh my God, someone's beaten up. What happened? It's like, oh, it was... Razor and Diesel, they beat me up. And everyone's like, what? But Razor and Diesel are gone. How is this possible? Vince McMahon legitimately thought in his heart of hearts, people don't care about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They love the characters. They love Scott Hall. No, they don't love Scott Hall. They love Razor Ramon. huh? They love the Diesel, the big guy. So he had new people come in and play fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Can you just quickly Google fake Razor Ramon? Because I wanted to show you beforehand, buddy. Please serious? just Google it so you can see the fucking jabroni they got. And tell me how he compares. Before I do this, 
Are you telling me they didn't even bother to go for someone that like is even slightly as cool? Because like that's, I mean, that's a high. I mean, that's a serious thing to aim towards, coming near as cool as those two. People don't love David Bowie. They love the character of Ziggy Stardust. Anyone can play. (laughs) So, yeah, have you typed in fake razor? Yes. What do you think? Jesus Christ. And he tries to do the Reza Ramon voice. And he looked fucking rubbish. And also, he couldn't... Wait, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Uh-oh. A new bit of information has revealed itself. Do you recognise Fake Diesel? <laughs> yes. Who's Fake Diesel, Joe? That's Kane. That's gotta be Kane. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Kane. I will let you know, currently on the ATR Podcast Patreon, Adam, who's reading the Kane novel, WB did... <laughs> He's doing book reports. He's reading through it. So if at any point they explain why Kane was Diesel. Please. How come that didn't come up in How To Kane? His brief stint as Diesel. I guess because we didn't really mention anything about Kevin Nash at the point. So it seemed a bit random. But now, yeah. Wow. So you got to admit, if you're leaving WWF and literally you're not, you're, you know, the ink has even dried on your new contracts and they've replaced you. I mean, I'd be fucking pissed. Fuck yes, I would be pit. Also, because that's completely missing the point of why he's such a cool character. It's not the character... I mean, the character is awesome, but you can't just put that on anyone and expect it to be as cool as fucking Razor Ramon. No, if it's someone... Scott Hall. If it's like someone in a mask, like there's been multiple Sin Caras. Yeah, Or multiple tiger masks, I guess, but... No, there's only there's one Razor. There's such a natural charisma to Scott Hall that is so essential to his character. Like, he is... He's talked about in his documentary how it's his alter ego. Yeah, it's it is. It's him. part of him, exactly. And I think, like, that's what's so horrid about it is the fact that Vincent Mann legitimately thinks, like, well, it's our intellectual property, so anyone can do it. And, like, that is... Like, it's so much of Scott is in that character. Yeah. You know, that's why I find it so insulting. That is. That's... Wow. Also, come on, at least try and get a hunk in there. You guys know one near his hand. No, he's not. He's he's like imperfect. He's like Scott Hall that's not been microwave for long enough. He's Poundland <laughs> knockoff. Cold in the middle. <laughs> you know? Left in the sun too long, like. I'm not Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott decides to head over to WCW. And WCW to their credit and to you know, Scott was involved in this as well. They knew that there was confusion about where people were going. When Scott Hall appeared in WCW, they made out like Scott was like Razor Ramon from WWF has just come over. Right. He hops the guardrail wearing delicious denim vest and jeans and just comes in and starts telling everyone, yeah, you know who I am. And this is now part for us to bring back hopefully a more regularly occurring segment because people have loved it and we've forgotten to do it, but I'm bringing it back for the good of the people it's time for a famous wrestling promo done in Joe's voice that she uses <laughs> when she calls her parents and needs to be slightly extra posher than normal. Did I ever tell you about how my dad listened to that episode and he posted it on Facebook? He was like, my daughter uses a different voice to call her parents. <laughs> he was so proud. <laughs> I thought he was ashamed. Like, I no. thought I knew Joe Graham. Then I listened Who to Howard Steiner. <laughs> I love how into this podcast my dad gets. He gets really like proud of us, like every little achievement. He's like, yes. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Joe's dad. So what promo am I doing? So this is when Scott jumped the barricade and debuted in WCW. This is his famous like 
promo where he's basically saying that outsiders are coming to WCW. The start of the NWO, basically. You can start off with a hey-yo if you want to, you know, if it'll get you in your character. Just reading through this, it's ridiculous. Okay. Hey-yo. 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 Hi-yo. Hey-yo. Hey-yo. Okay. Am I doing this, like, aggressive... Do, boys, you you or? have a scan through and you give it the read you feel it deserves. I would say posh is what the people seem to. Uh, well, of course I, I can't really change my voice. No, you can't. Unfortunately, the the voice I was cursed with this BBC from the eighties. Joe sounds posh even when she eats curry chips. Like you know, it's. A <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm asking is like, is this a is this a promo that he gave? Like, was it an aggressive? No, it was more kind of a. I'm giving you guys a warning. You people, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Where is billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, where oh where is Scheme Jean? Because I've got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I've got a challenge for him. For billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in the uh, the WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want to war? You're going to get one. <laughs> Unexpected wrestler in bagging area. <laughs> Amazing! That's fucking great. You have reached Scott Hall's answering service. <laughs> Approval needed. <laughs> I'm gonna say any future episodes, if there is an iconic promo that you want to, you know, for that wrestler that you want Joe to do a read of, let us know when you're sending your tweets with the hashtag, <laughs> and that will remind us because the world needs more posh English promos. I think it's very, very important. Just so you know as well, Joe. Just so you're you're up to date on all like the the my canon as a human being. When when I came to this country, mm. I came in a similar manner. I popped over a guardrail wearing a denim vest, no top on me. The state Hi. of me. The state of me. Sexy. So he was in the original NWO. And the whole that idea. Group of old men that, that came into Pennsylvania, and I made fun of them. I was like, where have these old men wandered in from off the street? You know, it's so funny because if you rewatch that now, knowing <laughs> what know, Scott's been really through, cool. you'd be like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> when, when we watched that WrestleMania, this is like before you knew anything about we wrestling. Nothing. And I was going, oh my God, look at that particular old man. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> So, he was the yeah. most handsome of all the old men. He was. I knew even back then that he was special. <laughs> yeah. So what was really cool was that they build them as they were the outsiders. Like the original idea was like Vince has sent Razor and, and Diesel down to WCW to destroy our wrestling. WCW was very self-conscious that up north... Because you know, they were Fragile southern, ego. they were. It's like oh, them, the North. You know, they don't like us up there. Those Yankee motherfuckers. They're gonna come and ruin. Our, this is our special wrestling. Like they're gonna ruin it. So these big New York wannabes coming out here was oh, it was poison for the WCW fans. They hated it. They actually immediately though got sued by what? WWF because Scott Hall comes off and he's like, "You people know 
who I am. And he's doing the Razor voice. Yeah, but he and doesn't say he's Razor. No. They're not calling him Razor. They sued them because he was using the mannerisms and the established trademarks of Razor Ramon. And Joe, you and I both know Razor Ramon is not Scott Hall. He's that weird, slightly overchewed caramel looking lad who they've got over the WWF <laughs> botching the Razor's head. There's so many angles of insult to this. The fact that they've fucking got this knockoff Poundland version of Diesel <laughs> and Razor Ramon going on in WF. The fact that they're trying to sue them even though they've not directly referenced the actual gimmick that I suppose they would have trademarked. Like there's no no mention of the name and everything. Mm. The fact that his voice, I mean, he does have a very deep voice naturally. It's only a little bit different from his natural voice. Yeah, honestly, when he started like doing Razor at the very, very start of WF, he did have the Cuban twang, but he got rid of it towards the end. Basically more like actually him towards the end. He just called people Chico. That was it. (laughs) And then the fourth insult is the fact that it's taken from Scarface anyway. (laughs) What, are they going to come in now and sue WWE? Yeah, we all know the concept of a cocaine-addled drug dealer from Miami is very much a Vince McMahon creation. (laughs) He hasn't even seen the movie. (laughs) This is what happens when Vince skips movie night. He fucking thinks he's invented something (laughs) but like one thing that was immediately apparent was that like once again no more so than when they were in Vince's ear Bischoff and Hogan realised these lads they're cool like they are cool and they know what people like they know what youth culture are after they know that it's not about like the old Ric Flair the old Hogan that stuff it's not that it's edgy yeah because like the NWO without Scott Hall and Kevin Nash would not be cool. Oh, no. And it Hogan... would be awkward and, like, uh... <laughs> It'd be awful. Yeah. And, like, that's why Hogan hitched his wagon to them straight away is because Hogan was pretty <laughs> much irrelevant, like, at this point in time. Remember we mentioned when Hogan ha- was struggling in WCW, having to bring in, like, Mr. T and Shaquille yeah. O'Neal to come out to the ring with him? Here, he's, like, fucking seeing dollar signs. Yeah. And, like, if you watch any Attitude Era... Uh, from WWF or any wrestling from the late 90s and early 2000s all the bad guys are wearing jeans black t-shirts sunglasses leather jackets all of it was Diesel and Scott Hall like these two lads it was their fucking branding and like they were so smart because WCW was giving them guaranteed money but WCW was really bad with merchandise like they they didn't know how to market merchandise properly the NWO t-shirt ended up becoming their best selling t-shirt ever because they would do things like at a, an event, they would just get the big box of NWO t-shirts and go into the car park after the show and just start, you know, throwing them out and selling them, like... Wow. And they had that kind of gritty, cool, like, oh, you know, I didn't buy the WCW shirt. I went out back and I bought the NWO shirt because it's counterculture. And that's all that the late 90s was all about, was yeah. counterculture. Heyman tapped into it. WWF tapped into it. But really, the first people who were doing it on a mainstream stage, this kind of cool bad guy... It was Scott Hall and and Diesel, you know. And when you think of how creative Scott Hall is, you could put a lot of yeah. the cool factor of the NWO on, on, him. on him, like. So he is a lot to, you know, a lot of those lads who got big checks in the NWO when they had 37 members they should have been thanking Scott Hall yes, for making seriously. it fucking cool in the first place. What he used to do as well with the NWO was that he would do his survey. He'd come out and he'd go, hey, yo, it's survey time. And he would say, are you people here to see... WCW <laughs> or the end and he'd stop to hear people would cheer along because there were some parts of WCW's territory like in the Carolinas the old timey places that they fucking hated the NWO who are these outsiders coming in from New York gonna ruin wrestling 
But if they ran in places like Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, they're like, these guys are cool as shit. Fuck WCW. So WCW created a war within itself. That's so clever. To massive... Like, they beat WWE for, like, two years straight in the ratings nearly. And it was because of this. So... I'm just trying to remember my my wrestling history now when we've talked a little bit about when WWE didn't do as well and WCW was like really taking over. Is that that here then? Literally here. And it is all down to the NWO and therefore all down to Scott Hall. I would say, at any point I wouldn't say it's definitively. No, but but like significantly. The lion's share of the success of WCW goes goes to the NWO angle. And I think the lion's share of the NWO angle goes to Scott Hall because of his creativity. That being said, though one of the reasons why the NWO worked was because it had Hogan who was such a big star yeah. like without Hogan and Nash being there it also wouldn't have worked Scott on his own couldn't have done it but it's just that the three of them together were so like they were spray painting people they were doing stuff that guys didn't do back then like they had things like the outsiders would beat people up backstage Never did that in WCW before. Wow. Like, there's a real iconic end to an episode of Nitro where Hall and Nash went out and they, like, picked up Rey Mysterio and they fucked him into the wall and, like, the police came and they got into a car and drove off. And, like, people watching the show were, like, ringing the police going, the NWO are getting away! Oh, my God. <laughs> so even though it was quite cutting edge, a lot of it was still, like, old school, working the marks, you know, being wow. bad guys. So they have a lot to be, you know, a lot of WCW success is laid at their feet. Success is all great and creativity is all great, but the number one thing you need for any of those things, and I can tell you this definitely as someone who's done creative things, you need motivation. Mm. There needs to be a carrot on a stick, there needs to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There needs to be something you're striving towards. If you're Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan, all of which have got guaranteed money, they've got a degree of creative control in their contracts where it's like, hey, tonight you're wrestling this guy, and they're like, want to wrestle that guy they can do that they basically have the keys to the kingdom here they would be like drinking before the show doing drugs after the show doing whatever the fuck they want to basically and as a result of that these guys quickly got the label of being lazy they're working way less than they were previously in WWF and like some things about that laziness is like I showed Joe the bit from Starcade 97 where Kevin Nash didn't show up for his match and Scott Hall just came out instead and got beaten up instead of doing the proper match like they were meant to do. But sometimes that laziness led to weird creativity. I had to have to to show this to Joe. I had to show her NWO Saturday Night. Right in 1987, 1998, they're told, guys, we need to start getting you to some of the tapings for Saturday night, which is like WCW's version of main event now. Jobbers appear on the show. It's not important. Scott and Kev didn't want to go on the road an extra day a week. So they came up with another idea. What if before anyone comes into the arena, because we're the NWO, we're heels and we're trolls, we just beat up a couple of jobbers and we do it like Mystery Science Theater 3000 where we just talk on the mic and commentate and put loads of weird NWO graphics on it. So me and Joe did have the pleasure of watching The Outsiders, Hall and Nash, taking on the Starbuck twins. What did you think of this? What a fucking mess. <laughs> what a weird fucking mess. It's so strange. And I can't believe I've never heard of this before. It's definitely one of the kind of hidden over crusty bits of wrestling that people don't, because it's like a C show from like 20 years ago. Yeah, it's so strange. It's up on YouTube. You can find a few clips of it. Please do seek this out because it's so worth watching. It's bizarre. So it's all in black and white. 
for reasons unknown. NWO or black and white, that was their whole thing. Right, Yeah, therefore... when they came out, it went into black okay. and white. Like, right, yeah. so the whole show has to be black and white. Very <laughs> annoying. That doesn't get tiring after five minutes no, or anything, not. I swear. <laughs> so, they're, they're, yeah, so there's this black and white screen. They are on... I didn't realise this until, like, four minutes in as well. So... Kevin Nash is on commentary, but he's also in the match, right? And when he tags in to Scott, they swap the microphone over and then Scott takes over on commentary. He's like, I'm probably like, like my broadcast partner there. <laughs> Starbuck twins are a hell of a competitor. They're literally on commentary while beating them up. It's so strange. <laughs> what I love as well is that, like, it's like, look into the eyes of Scott Hall. He's just in there, like, yay, like all the canned applause. The second that, like, they cut over to the Starbucks twins, like, ooh. And a lot of, like, the funny stuff it as well is, like, there's one move the Starbucks twins get in on Scott Hall. They get him in, like, an arm wrench. And as soon as they lock it in, they digitize the screen like it's Crime Watch. They do it all they blurry. Blur it all over so, so you can see. You can see Scott Hall get hit. The, the audio is, is, I think, the most strange because it does. It just cuts from run, like thunderous applause to like boos mm. to silence, like really awkward. Clearly, no one actually in the like, yeah. in the audience. It's just, and it's so it's so unsubtly done. The transitions between the audio clips as well. That's on purpose, though, because like the NWO, like they would make all these kind of backstage segments. That it was not like well, I'm backstage with Kevin and Nash and Scott Hall, and they just be stood there. It would be. The following announcement has been paid for by, you know, uh, the Outsiders of the NWO. And it'd be this weird, like, cut together black and white thing. And they said they always wanted it to look dirty. Like, it, really? like it, they've, like, made it themselves. Because it's like, fuck you, WCW. We've got an airtime on your show. And look how fucking shitty this shit is. It's, uh, it's ahead of its time, I think. Oh, totally. It's like Tim and Eric. It is. Really weird. <laughs> and like the, we- like the weird special effects, like the blurring and then the strange like star wipe transitions. It's very odd. To see that on like the show that was beating WMF at the time, a kind of it showed that they were so successful that they could be creative to the point that it was like, you don't even have to think this is fully out. Let's just do it. And they're like, fine, yeah, just do it. So... You know, that's, that's weird. I think that both shows the abject laziness of, of them at the time, but also the creativity, their creativity. And the innovation, yeah. It's very odd. But if you look now at a lot of the stuff that they were doing, this kind of like trolley type behavior, if you look at like the Young Bucks and the Bullet Club in current day, they you know will be the first to tell you a lot yeah. of this stuff comes from Hall and Nash and the, um, you know, the NWO type of stuff. You know, they, they do the paid for announcements. They, you know, they too sweet each other. They're like, those are phrases that, you know, the outsiders oh, yeah. use. You know, Hall has too sweet written on his... Yeah. You know, anytime everyone gets a two count, everyone says sweet. They're saying it for the young books, but the young books were too sweet in each other because nothing sums up troll, in-your-face, irritating 90s wrestling than, you know, Hall and Nash pointing each other's dicks going, sweet! <laughs> like, that is fucking the worst of wrestling in many ways. And that's their kind of capitalizing on that i guess so yeah it's it's interesting how this thing has went through generations almost yeah. now wcw unfortunately with a lack of rules and a lack of dates for scott to work he said he wanted to spend more time at home and the really depressing thing he says is oh no he says that they didn't they realized they didn't actually enjoy each other's company all that much because he was on the road 300 days a year he'd come home it's like dad's home man and everyone has a great time because mm. you're only home you know, no more if you've been like one of those like long distance relationships where you see each other like once every four months and it's, it's awesome and then you have to see each other every day. It's like, yeah. you know, it, it can be quite challenging for some people and 
case in point here he's at home all the time and he's in this big mansion and his you know he hates his life like his family life is horrid especially because they they interview his family during this documentary and you do feel for his son who has you know grown up with a fan you know incredibly strong impressive aggressive father figure someone as cool as fucking scott hall yeah but then who's actually absent for most of his childhood because yeah, they talked with cody in this and he was like you know when i was a kid all the kids in the playground were like oh man your dad could beat up my dad and my all this dad type really of stuff. literally could <laughs> literally would beat you up so bad <laughs> and yeah like 98 scott had like a really messy divorce and he like disappeared from tv on wcw for a while and WCW, in their infinite wisdom, decided, hey, now's as good a time as any to do a storyline about Scott's real-life drinking problems. Fucking hell. This is the first time have you kind of seen something like this, really, on like, in wrestling, is it? Where they've said, hey, this guy's got deep personal problems. Are you saying that Bam. they do this more than this? Oh, God, this yeah. Wow. And the grand scheme of things... They didn't fucking learn their lesson. Oh, no. I mean, WWF did this as well, honey buddy. Yeah, they they did that as well. And I will say, out of all of them, I think this is probably one of the slightly more tasteful handlings. Yeah. Some really shady shit that they've done over the years where it's like, oh, this guy's got personal problems. Let's make an angle out of it. Fucking hell. It's so messed up. It's so messed up. We watched an interview with um, Scott from like kind of like last year and he was like asked about this and he's like, look, I was being paid big money and I was said like, look, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. I'll do yeah. it the best I can do it. So like, he didn't want to do it. He didn't like doing it. But if he's going to have to do it, he's going to do the best of, of his abilities, which is so admirable. Yeah, I mean... Like, some of it was played up for yucks. The one, like, there was a gift that went around, like, for years. I remember, like, it was something that me and Adam were really obsessed with. But, you know, we never saw it in the context of this storyline. It's, like, it's Hall looking like he's about to reach out for a, a tag while he's got some guy in a in a submission hold. And he's reaching for a tag, but it's actually a, a glass of beer. And then he takes a sip out of it and passes it back and keeps doing the move. But we watched our next match is Kevin Nash versus Scott Hall, which is, like, the kind of the crescendo of this storyline. And the video package where it's, like, at the start, it's, like, Scott's, like, I hate you, Kevin. You've held me back my whole career. And then it's, like... The next promo, he's like slurring his words, and then like by the end of it, he's like in a fucking bar, like covered in sickle. Like, hey, let like, me tell you, there's a literally uh, a clip of him throwing up into his hands, like lying on the ground, his in head the in the toilet, like. Yeah. Oh man. How much of that was actual alcoholism? Scott Hall really was going through that at the time, and how much of it was them with the angle? Well, he said himself, like he wasn't like drinking, like before he would go out and wrestle because he said like bumping and actually working when you're full of booze is like literally like hell you can't do it so he was drinking like after the show's load so he this was all like play pretend when he was doing all this you know coming out you know because he comes out for this match he's got like a glass of vodka at the start there was loads of matches he would just come out with a drink and he pretend to be drunk and all that but Scott legitimately did show up, particularly when he was doing promos. He was only just like to do a promo or take a bump. He would show up drunk. Right. Like there is one, a famous clip for when they're like, WCW used to do a spring break show where they would go to Florida. The sole purpose of which is so the wrestlers could go out and party at spring break and pretend that they're fucking 19 again. Wow. And the pool, there would always be like a pool beside the ring. It's like, it's spring break. And like Hall and Ash come out and they're both wearing Hawaiian shirts. And Hall is fucking low. He's so drunk. He gets a promo and he's like, uh, someone call the party police because there ain't no rules. And he's just fucking loaded. He's so drunk. 
and like there's sad stories around this time like when they're doing this angle at the at the um, spring break and Bischoff goes over to him and he's like are you going in tonight and he's like oh yeah no Big Show's going to throw me in the pool at the end of the angle that's what we're going to do he's going to press Sammy in he's like no rehab you're going into rehab tonight right we're, we're going to put you in rehab because you're fucking drunk like showing up here so it's like they were not really looking out for him seriously that's so fucking messed up if you're giving a guy guaranteed money and letting him go out and perform drunk even if it's just for promos and stuff that's not like I don't think that's corporate responsibility no now, Scott Hall can make his own bad decisions but WCW doesn't need to make bad decisions on his behalf yeah, as well yeah like encourage his bad decisions so, like, with him being sick and everything, and his head in the toilet, because, like... That's was... all jokey, like, just pray. That's all just pretend, yeah. Okay, because there was also clips of him, like, with his head in the toilet, found by Kevin Nash, that was real. Yeah, it's it's not nice. Like, so, I mean, that was probably... It's, it's art imitating life, I guess. Oh, it's so hard to think. Because, like, when you blur the boundaries between reality and fiction like that, I think for the, the person involved, not, not just the fans, but, yeah, the person, the main talent... It's going to be so difficult to try and then separate those. Yeah, because for years, loads of people... Ha ha ha! He's an alcoholic, but it's not really a disease. Yeah. And it's not something to be worried about, because it's just a fun gimmick, isn't it? Like, there were there were some people who just thought that Scott Hall, it was just like, a lot of it was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a gimmick. And I think, oh, when he was drunk on TV, it's like, no, he's actually, like, has real problems. Yeah. You know, WCW got in trouble with the higher-ups at Turner because one of the executives saw this and... You know, Scott says, you know, everyone knows someone who's got mental illness or addiction in their life, so they put an end to it. But we still got a match out of it, which was Kevin Nash versus Scott Hall from Halloween Havoc in 1998, with a very, very, very tasteless video package. I want to know, though, seeing this Halloween Havoc 98, what you thought of the impressive stage. Oh, it's amazing. You've got, like, a, a demon thing holding a big pumpkin. We salute our half-inflated Lord of Darkness. Yeah, it's very much a Persona 5 palace. <laughs> it's like the end boss. You think you've beaten him, and then it's... Down, down, down. Come out with a big pumpkin and a giant Snickers bar. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott comes out with a glass of vodka. <laughs> Imagine if he was an alcoholic. And then Kevin Nash coming out, you know, clean, sober Kevin Nash, who's never touched a drink in his life. That's why I really hate as well as the like, it's like Scott's the one with problems, not like Kevin Nash or Shawn Michaels or any of the other lads who all did have fucking, you know, they had their own problems in one way, shape yeah. or form. It was really singling him out, I think, which was quite Which cruel. is especially unfair seeing as we, we, we all know that he has mental health problems. It's especially harsh, I think, to fucking... Oh, they found a way to make this worse as well because Nash comes out looking disgusted, and then Hall is all like stumbling, and he throws the vodka in his face, and he beats on him, and it's like, and the announcer's like, "Oh, he's just pretending he's just fine. There's nothing wrong with him at all." Because like five seconds before, it's like Scott needs to go in and get help, and hopefully yeah. he'll get out. Like, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. Just a couple of drinks, you know. Oh, it's so horrid to think. So you've got uh, Scott beating the shit out of Kevin Nash and he cuts a promo in the middle of the match saying there's nothing wrong with him. He does go, you get to see some of Scott's really cool mannerisms in this with him constantly affixing the yeah, hair. Yeah, affixing the hair. One of my favourite moments ever is when he's there cutting a promo with the NWO and they're in like real WCW territory and a fan fucks a beer right in I his head. I saw this, someone sent this to us on Twitter. <laughs> I actually, I've retweeted it so go to our timeline to see it. It's 
incredible. And it's like he doesn't even recognize There's loads there. of beer there. And, and then just... he just goes, slicks it back. <laughs> wow. It's awesome. But yeah, he does loads of cool things as well. Like he does his spooky fingers. He played Kevin Nash's head like a drum. You love that. I what love was that? that. What was it about that, that you enjoyed? It was really funny. <laughs> slapping the back it's of the head. the kind of thing heads. I used to do to my brother when we were play fighting. I like just to annoy him. Wind him up to slap his head. <laughs> Fucking love it. Like He looks like he is beating the shit for real out of Nash here. It's funny, as the, the further on Scott's career we went, the better his punches went. Yeah. And, you know, Scott and Kevin, a few people recommended this match. I was like, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, 98? These lads are fucking hardly going to leave their feet, are they? They're going to be going like, to have a game of Scrabble instead because it's easier. But, you know, it's through the story and the psychology... Mm. It's mostly punches. Other than yeah. towards the end, it's Scott, you know, doing the punches and the chokes. But they managed to tell that story quite well with, you know, Kevin Nash doesn't want to fight Scott. He's kind of reluctant to and Scott's just like lays him out and it's kinda of like, Look how easy it is for me to, to beat up on you, I'm clearly better, you know? And <laughs> they have a point where uh, Scott Hall, like, he, he starts getting a comeback from Nash and Nash starts firing up and you have Kevin Nash hitting him in the corner going how about another drink and giving him a big elbow how about a double and he gives him two and he's like screaming like it's the last call Scott and all these drink related analogies and the announcer my chase goes wow what a great job by our audio and video guys here tonight <laughs> for fuck's sake like you know mankind gets thrown off the hell and says wow, what a great job by the guys here tonight they're doing really good stuff great job guys <laughs> Scott gets killed by Nash, who hits a jackknife powerbomb and another. Powerbomb and Big Scott Hall, once again. Oh. Whoa, that's impressive. Yeah. And of course, because it's 1998, Nash can't leave the ring before doing a couple of crotch chops over him, a little gyration. And then Nash leaves the ring and lets Scott win by counter. That was really cool. I've never seen that before. That was really, really cool. I don't know why you would think about that I because that. that's a very, like WCW, if you probably noticed any time we've watched a match from them, it's always very like... Swervy end. Yeah, weird end with like yeah. loads of interference. But that one you were a fan of. I liked that one because it kind of made sense within the, the context of the story. Like, you know, he's his best friend. They travel this time together. He's going through this horrible alcoholism, which obviously I hate this angle, but... Within the context of it, I think leaving him in the ring is very poignant. Yeah, it was cool, wasn't it? You're not worth it now. Yeah. You're not even worth me pinning you. There you go. You've won the match. Good job on you, kind of. Yeah, I hope you're fucking happy. So the the angle was fucking, was tasteless, but the actual match itself, I was... was good, yeah. I was, seriously, this was the match I put on here, which is like, and let's see how shit it was in WCW, because people had recommended it, but I thought it would be a shit show, and expose a lazy, you know, unmotivated awful taste of storyline and no, I thought like, it was good credit to him when he said he he didn't like the angle but he'd do his goddamn best he was not lying he he did his best and it was he, he made he made I want to say champagne out of shit but he made something better than shit out of shit he's certainly <laughs> the best drunk I've ever seen on wrestling like in a, in a storyline they, they I mean whatever accolade that him, is Mr. Leahy <laughs> the two most accurate fictional alcoholics that are also actual alcoholics yeah jeez what was your star rating for this much different match, I guess I would call it? I gave this three out of five stars because, yeah, while the angle is a garbage fire, this match itself is actually pretty good. Um, and the punches from Scott are definitely worth seeing. They are amazing here. I think it's definitely as well as a new fan worth checking out. I mean, all these shows are on the network, all the WCW shows, just to see, like, you know, I guess it is 20 years ago, nearly, but just to see, like, 
what was considered okay for a number one company to be doing at the time. It's horrid to think. Yeah, you won't be seeing anything like that anytime soon. Good. One would hope. Unfortunately, Scott's rest of his time in WCW didn't fare much better. It was kind of absences followed up with him coming back for a bit, and then again he'd be gone. And, like, the last year or so of WCW, they were basically just, like, running a teaser angle. Like, oh, is Scott going to be brought back? They'd have, like, Kevin Nash fighting matches to, to win Scott's contract back. And the reality was they weren't bringing it back because Scott was on his guaranteed contract. But he wasn't fit to, to work a lot of the time. And, yeah, that was it. No more Scott, really. And that's a shame because you'd think with him having the world in his hands in, you know, 95 or 96 when he came in. Surely you think Scott will be straight away a world champion. He'd get to be a top yeah. guy, get a top run. And still, he never got that. Like, he had a few title matches in WCW. But again, it was he never got to the heights he should have. So unfair. To think like DDP managed to reach that in Scott didn't. Yeah. That is kind of strange. And I know wrestling, it's, it's only a belt. It's not real. But even still, just to have that little stamp of... The office think you're a top guy. Yeah. And obviously no one ever thought that for long enough to give Scott a hold the belt. And that's kind of shitty. That seems so strange to me though. Because he is such a top guy. Yeah. Like regardless of whether he won any of those belts. In my opinion he is. He's He may as well have done. So Scott eventually found his way back to WWF in 2002. Like a lot of those guys we talked about from WCW. Who had the big guaranteed money. They decided to stay at home and collect all the money that they were owed. Before eventually coming in to WWE. So unlike DDP, who decided to go straight over there, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan all bided their time and had all their money paid out before they came out to WWF in 2002. And Vince's idea straight away, don't bring back Diesel and Razor. No, he wants to do the NWO. Now that's probably an episode in of itself, WWE's attempt at doing the NWO. But needless to say, times had moved on and straight away, Hall and Nash particularly Hall, was getting a bad reputation backstage. Because people had heard all the stories that, oh, these guys are just in it for themselves. They just want to make money. They're going to you know do like the click again and young up-and-coming guys aren't going to get their chance. These guys are going to run roughshod. There's a story apparently of the first night that Hall and Nash were at Raw when they came back. They saw the Dudley boys, who were like the tag champions at the time. They're like, yeah, here the 3D is a pretty cool move. Can't wait for us to kick out of it. <laughs> like high five and like <laughs> and it's like, don't say that. Like that's oh, it's funny though. It is funny, but don't say it's that. Like knowing that like Knowing Bubba Ray Dudley as being who yeah, he is. Yeah, knowing he's a big fucking dickhead. <laughs> it's really funny. But also, yeah, I can see why that would look bad. He would literally give you the three D for real for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, however, my first experience with Scott Hall, because I started watching wrestling in the Attitude Era. I hate WCW, so I never watched WCW, so I never saw any Razor. I never saw Scott in WCW as a kid. Did you know about him? I knew of him. I knew he was a guy with the voice. <laughs> and honestly, even though you can tell this is Scott, he's 43, he's not the Scott of old. He's been, you know, he's, he's smaller, he's not as quick as he was, he's not as, his voice is even not as much as it was. But I remember when I was like a kid seeing Scott Hall in 2002, I was fucking enamored. Yeah. Thought he was so cool. He was like my new favorite wrestler. <laughs> I was so fucking annoyed because Scott was only here for a few months before the 
he got, had to leave and was fired. I remember, as a result, he wasn't in the latest wrestling game that came out. Oh, no. And I remember, like, refusing to play it for ages. It was like, fuck, here comes the pain. Oh, Scott Hall's not in it. That's total shit. Like, he should be. Oh. And that's, that's, I guess that'll show you how much of a fan I was of his. Yeah. Here's a match which Steve Austin didn't like, but Scott Hall did like, and I loved. And I figured it was his biggest match when he came back, so it's one to show Joe... From WrestleMania 18, which we saw last episode with... Uh... DDP versus Christian. Yes, very good. I love now how all these pieces are coming together. Starting together, it's really interesting. We were talking on our Patreon review of Extreme Rules recently about how on Raw we had Samoa Joe, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar in the ring. And you like now have all those yeah. bits together. It's just really cool how these bits are coming together <laughs> for you now. We get to see the cool storyline where Steve Austin kidnapped Scott Hall. Yes. He tied him to a chair and beat the shit out of him. That was kind of... uh, Why did he kidnap him? Because the NWO beat up Steve Austin a whole bunch. So Austin was like... Just beating up Scott Hall. I'm going to hunt you. But why not the rest of the NWO? Why just him? (laughs) Because he start off with Scott and then he's going to go to the other ones. Right. Like Kill Bill. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the whole idea of this is that originally they were going to hopefully do Hogan versus Austin at WrestleMania. (laughs) And Hogan didn't like the idea, and Austin didn't like the idea, because both men thought that they should win. So we ended up getting... One of those men is right. (laughs) You would have picked uh, Hogan to to go over. Oh yeah, my big boy Hogan, he needs to win everything. Clean with the leg drop, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Take it easy, pal, we already got their money. (laughs) So anyway, we get Scott Hall and Steve Austin. I love the whole entrance here, the fact that you get to see you know, Scott Hall on the big long ramp. Coming out, doing his surf walk, yeah. doing the point for Nash to come out, his buddies. What do you think of like the black and white effect when they're coming out, like making it like it's special for the NWL? I like it just for the entrance. It's fine. Yeah. I didn't like it with the Saturday night thing where it's the whole of it in black and white. That's just nice. That's way way too much. Yeah. yeah. So we've got Stone Cold Steve Austin going after Scott Hall at a million miles an hour to start this one off. I fucking love it. Both of these lads are doing horrible sick chops to each other. Well, except Steve Austin's punches look weak as shit in comparison. Oh, the punches yeah Austin's punches are like it's it's a wow now, he looks so rubbish in compa- I love Steve Austin I think he's amazing and yet when he's in the ring with Scott Hall throwing those punches he looks like a jobber it's just nothing in comparison it's funny because people have I mean Mick Foley coined the phrase it hit me harder than a Steve Austin comeback punch Austin has gotten the reputation as being a little bit s- stiff or snug with yeah. his punches. I've never heard anyone complain about Scott Hall's. That's amazing. And it's like Austin's punches, you say, look like shit. They do look like shit. <laughs> and they hurt. <laughs> and Scott's ones are awesome and apparently don't hurt. So Scott Hall needs to pass on his gift to like as many wrestlers as possible for how to throw a really good punch like that and make it look amazing without hurting. That's amazing. That's I know we've, so cool. we've got a lot of wrestlers in training who listen to the podcast and actually a couple of indie wrestlers yeah. as well. I would. I never want to be like, help us expose the business. I am. But- <laughs> Please expose the business. I want to learn it all. Oh no, careful. <laughs> I would love to know about how Scott gets that noise, yeah. that slap, and just... Because I know Kurt Angle does a similar big wind-up and a stompy type punch, and Kurt Angle is someone who I would consider to have also brilliant punches, yeah. but Scott's are another level. They are. They are they're just incomparable to every other punch I've ever seen in my whole life. 
Scott Hall keeps taking control in this match because his big old buddy, big sexy Kevin Nash, keeps interfering. We get a stunner quite early on, but Nash pulls out the referee and starts beating up Steve. And we get loads of referees coming in now, <laughs> including what I have to say was one of the most impressive refs yes! ever. This referee just sliding into the ring. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like an arrow out of a fucking bow. It's like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's not even the greatest ref slide of all time. There are better ones. Really? But I hope, I hope this is the start of you loving ref slides because... There's a couple of things I love in wrestling. I love referees sliding into the ring really, really far as well. Yeah. And that's like a thing that I love. So let's try and keep an eye out in the future for got any good ref slides. How to ref slides. Yeah. How to ref slides. You got a good and a good gift. Send them in. You know, Charles Robinson, 19, he slid so far and then he came out the other fucking side. It was amazing. Like, <laughs> do they grease up the referees first? Yeah, oil them up. Maybe oil. <laughs> it's the secret. It's so funny how the crowd are booing Scott, but... When he does things like he, he signals for the razor's edge at one point, his finisher, and the crowd like do a massive pop, and when Austin reverses it, they all boo like motherfuckers. Yeah. We didn't have a chance to talk about it, but the razor's edge, then known as the outsider's edge when he was in WCW, um, the big crucifix powerbomb. So cool. Why is it you like about that move? It's the fact that he... Okay, so he lifts them up on his shoulders. Yeah. Right, so... Yeah, for people listening at home, I'll try and describe best as I can. So he's he's facing away from them; they're facing away from him. So he's got them on his on his back. Like it's called a crucifix. Like it's, yeah, it's basically it like a crucifix, crucifix power on your back. Yeah. yeah, and then you throw them forwards. But the way he does it isn't just the throwing forwards. He fucking topples. Yeah, he leans like a tree falling it's forward. Like, yeah. <laughs> amazing it's great when you see him doing against like small guys yeah because he's so tall and he's so big it looks really scary to watch him do it I remember before this on Raw they had him like it was like oh I want to have a tune up match before I fight Stone Cold and it's like bring out someone tough and it was like Spike Dudley who's like 5 foot and 150 <laughs> pounds and I remember it was the first time I saw the Razor's Edge properly and he picked him up and he like he leaned forward like he fucking like he folded up like an accordion I was like oh my god this big monster has put all of his weight down just squashed him I love that move it must be really painful to do I think for Scott Hall it's a hard enough Scott move to do yeah face. yeah it is it's it's not uh, not the nicest one in the world it's funny because like later on in the years like I think he hit the racist edge like maybe once his whole time he came back in WWF wow. in 2002 because most of the guys were probably too big for him to hit it on anymore so the best thing about this, one of the reasons why I actually showed you this match, is the way that Scott Hall sells the Stone Cold Stunner. He takes the Stunner and then he just like comes completely upright like he's totally normal. But then Austin manages to hit another Stunner yeah. on him. Which makes him look like he's been blown up by an actual grenade. <laughs> How would you... Grenade, a lawn dart is the other one that people have said. Like, it just goes... Boonk, and like, he just goes flying up into the air. Like, one of those rockets that you can get to shoe off. Like, <laughs> I thought a little parachute would come out of Scott as he was coming back down. Yeah. That's my favourite sell of the Stone Cold Stunner ever, I think. Yeah. No, that was awesome. And even though Scott was removed from the wrestling game that came out they did put in a special stunner for Austin that you could do that the guy would just go and stand up so you could then hit your second stunner on him. So you could, And you could do infinite. You could do like five in a row. Like you wow. would just keep going up and up and up and doing stunner after stunner after stunner. It's great. Fucking brilliant. So he hits a big crazy double stunner and Steve Austin picks up the win here against Scott Hall. What do you think of this match? I liked it. It's another match that I gave three out of five stars. It was, um, I thought, a really good match to see sort of Scott Hall yeah 
But Steve Austin looks like shite in this. It's really funny. Do you know what happened the night after this match? What? Remember we mentioned before in 2002 when Steve Austin took his ball and went home and he left the company disgruntled. This was it. He left. Why? Because he didn't like working with Scott Hall at WrestleMania. He thought he was being misused. You know, why don't you wrestle Brock Lesnar and... uh, you know, losing in 10 minutes or whatever and Austin was oh, upset. Oh, that was that. So he left the night after this. He came back a few weeks later and then was around for another month or two. Then Austin was gone again for like a year and a half. So oh, yeah. this was, yeah, You, were, I was actually wondering if you'd pick up because this isn't like fiery, proper no, Steve Austin. this is like worst example Steve Austin. Yeah, so yeah, you're, you're right to pick up on that because Austin was pretty much out the door for a while afterwards. That's really I wonder if before then, even this match started, if he was already a little bit like knew he was going because it doesn't oh, yeah. seem like he's putting in the effort well WrestleMania 17 main event against The Rock world championship broke box office records for the company WrestleMania 16 he wasn't there because he was injured 15-14 main event for the title won the title both times WrestleMania 18 mid card match against Scott Hall which is as a result of not being able to do the match with Hogan that they would have wanted to and it's just he, he saw, once soon as Austin got like a whiff of a downward trajectory, he was upset. It's know? a real shame, because like, without Scott Hall in this match, this would be a, a shit match. And it was it's, funny. It's because of him and his amazing selling and his amazing wrestling that makes this. And he was really shocking about this. I only found out Hogan mentioned it, actually, it was in the in a documentary or an interview, about how Scott, to try and get himself right at the time, because you know, he obviously had huge problems with, with booze, he was taking those pills. Oh, God, yeah. You can take these pills, essentially, that will make you... Even the smell or the taste of alcohol will make you incredibly nauseous. In a feud with Steve Austin. Which basically is like, hey, why don't I throw you to a swimming pool full of beer this week? (laughs) I got a great idea. It's a dunk tank, but instead of water, it's a beer. And instead of a clown, it's Scott Hall. (laughs) That, like, Austin was draining this lad in fucking beer. Jesus. And that's shit, like, that's just crap if you're fucking trying to get right, like, but... Yeah. The number of times that like Scott Hall has faced real hardship, <laughs> yeah. he's really gone up against it. It's yeah. amazing. He he just keeps you know carrying on. <laughs> another thing which rears its head on how to wrestling, another recurring theme. Unfortunately, unlike Dusty Rhodes or the dying days of the AWA or something like that, it's not kind of like oh wow that really expect it's it's the plane ride from hell. Ah, oh, back to that again. Were you? Uh, I mean, as soon as they brought up the plane ride from hell, were you? <laughs> Figuring Scott Hall was on his way out? Or? Well, yeah, because it's actually really interesting because I've been listening to older episodes of How To Wrestling recently and only this week I listened to How To Mr. Perfect. That's oh, my favourite episode, I think. Yeah, it's where we <laughs> first talk about the uh, the infamous plane ride from hell and I get so angry, rightfully so, about the injustice that is done to Scott Hall. And this is bef- That was before I knew anything about him. Oh, yeah, because we were talking about how he got fired because he got took out yeah. in the wheelchair. And way back then, I, even then, I, I thought that was really unfair that Scott Hall was fired just because because he had to be taken out in a wheelchair because he was, you know, such a bad way. Mm. And I'm even angrier about it now, <laughs> knowing all the shit he went through. Like, fuck you. Fuck you, Vince McMahon. Fuck you whoever made the decision that he was the one who had to be punished rather than Michael Hayes for pissing on Linda McMahon. That's the kind of, yeah, I mean, once the lad who took his Rick dick out. Flair wandering around with his dick out. I mean, there were two swinging dicks who should have gotten reprimanded here. Yeah. Probably first. Not to mention, like, all the other shit that went on, including the fight between Brock Lesnar and Mr. Perfect, you know, right by the air security door. I'm sorry for you, once again, like, now that you're talking through this, I'm like, wait, that didn't all happen on the set. Oh, yes, wait, it did. Yeah, even now. Yes, it did. <laughs> 15 years I've been hearing about the plane run from hell, I'm still like, wait, all of that? Yeah. <laughs> and 
Wasn't there someone else who was prank doing pranks yeah, at the same X-Pac time? Yeah, X Pac was uh, chopped off Michael Hayes' ponytail, if you recall. Yeah, that too. Yeah, so I'm so angry still about the fact that fucking Michael Hayes, who couldn't tell the difference between a urinal and Linda McMahon because he was so out of his head, wasn't fired. But Scott Hall, who's had terrible, you know, crippling addictions, mental illness, whose very own disease has been made into a mocked gimmick, was fired just because he, what, had to be taken out of a wheelchair. That's absolutely shocking. I mean, it's funny because in the ESPN documentary, they, they have a clip from Stephanie and they're like, you know, why did he get fired? Essentially, they're like, look, he, yeah, there was that incident, but he underperformed on pretty much every show that he was at. And yeah, she says that he, he wasn't wrestling up to the standards that they... He had previously been wrestling too. I guess I think the bone of contention, I mean, from my point of view anyway, I guess, is the fact that, you know, Scott comes back. They knew that Scott had problems. He wasn't, he, he wasn't clean. I don't think he was, you know, he wasn't clean and sober. And I think almost they had a responsibility to kind yeah. of like fucking, look, take him off the road for a couple of months, get him help. Don't just like go, oh, geez, he's underperforming. And then it's like, yeah, actually, you're shit. Off you go. And because the years that followed from there are, that's the, the darkest timeline of Scott Hall. Like, that's where all, like, he says he totaled, like, six Cadillacs in, like, six years. And it's just like, fucking hell, you know? And it pisses me off, too, that, like, they mentioned in this documentary, they interview Stephanie, and she's like, oh, we must have spent nearly three million dollars on his uh, rehab. And it's yeah. like, okay. It didn't work, though, did it? spent all money on rehab. Have you ever thought of, like, getting him actual therapy? Because he, he talks about, like, yeah. why Kayfake Commentaries did a kind of a shoot interview with Scott where they talked quite in depth about a lot of the rehab and stuff he went to because Scott was was known um, after he left he had a lot of dark times he was in TNA a couple of times he would always leave and come back but usually when you're hearing about Scott it wasn't because of the great match he had in TNA it was Scott has been involved in like you know domestic disturbance or you know he's been arrested for you know there's so many mug shots of Scott from this point in time and WWE had the offer out there after 2005 when Eddie Guerrero passed away they put out a thing which is like, look, if you're a former performer, you've worked here even for a day and you were under contract, we will pay for you to get rehab. Yeah. And it was like mainly because, look, we can't have... All, wrestlers were dying left and right. They needed to do yeah. something. And it's a great idea in principle. But Scott, he would say, he's like, look, you go away and you do this 10-step thing. And and it deals with the, the disease, the alcoholism or the drug abuse specifically. But that isn't the root of the problem yeah he, he said you know you're treating the symptom which is the drinking yeah. the addiction the cause is the thing we talked about at the start of this yeah. it's the fucking tragic child you know the, the the dysfunctional childhood and the fucking that murder thing like because yeah. it, it comes back that's what we mentioned at the start it comes back to it so many times and it's only actually since he started getting his life back in track he started going to, yeah. to therapy that's what's so like shocking to me like I assumed that part of WWE's wellness policy with dealing with things like therapy. alcohol yeah. And, and yeah drug abuse would be therapy because to me that's common sense like okay for some people yes alcoholism and drug abuse is the root of the problem sometimes that's the, the start that's not the case for everyone and that for many people a mental illness or a traumatic event is what's caused then the need to rely on these things. And a lot of the times as well, he's talking here, essentially saying, you know, his life was, you know, a blur of, of pills and booze and stuff. And he was, he decided a number of times he was going to drink himself to death. Yeah. Like he was, he had given up. And when you see like the guilt that he has over this incident, yeah. and it's like, again, the symptom is this addiction is because he... You know, he has this destructive aspect of his personality, I guess. And it was so sad because, I mean, 
him and Jake Roberts as well, who also had help from DDP, there was a point in time, like 2009, 2008, where we were literally just... Because wrestlers were dying left and right. Yeah. Younger than him. Yeah. With less demons and less problems than him. And they're dropping left and right. And, like, you're kind of sitting there going, well, it's, surely Scott's next. Mm-hmm. And, like, you hear all these stories of, like, Kevin Nash saying, like, you know, I have... You know, I've brought this guy to... Re- you know, I'm his best friend. I'm the only one who seems to be responsible for him because, you know, his family don't want anything to do with him. And, you know, he's burnt all of his bridges and Scott's like telling these depressing stories of like who he's in this big fucking mansion oh, he's got all the toys and no one to play with because no one wants to associate with him anymore it's so sad it's so sad and it is really amazing and this isn't really why we you know did this episode after we did yeah. <laughs> did Just it do how to DDP and then make it all about DDP <laughs> but like you know DDP one of the main I think one of the most incredible things that DDP was able to provide to these guys was a healthy way to talk about their feelings and their their thoughts and their emotions and everything. And it's something that's like so obvious when you watch DDP talk to like Scott Hall or Jake Snake Roberts. He's so open and honest about like yeah talking things through and don't be afraid to show vulnerability and you know fuck all that you know man up and everything. There's one point in the documentary. It's very sad where Scott Hall says you know at the time when he was in like the clique. Oh yeah, this is sad. You know, yeah. they all had demons. They all knew. They all knew they had horrible addictions and, and you know, mental And they knew and that Scott had a dark past they knew, as well, yeah. But they still were like, you know, come on, let's just keep partying because, you know, if we keep partying then the dark thoughts can't crop up. He said that they would only deal with each other on the surface level yeah. and that is like, that's a really And it's like so thing. easy to imagine like, I mean, you think nowadays of like how difficult some men find it to talk openly about things that they've gone through and their their feelings mm. and you think back then in that even worse like, the, the yeah. 80s the 90s wrestlers they're supposed <laughs> to be the epitome of, of masculinity and they're not able to talk about these horrible things they've gone through they've got to try and bottle it all up it's so clear why this ended up how it did because ddp was you know he had helped jake and we we're all like absolutely amazed how much you know help he gave jake the snake roberts once he was helping there lots of people started going oh geez oh, imagine if he helped scott yeah. i remember watching the video that ddp put up like with adam the day it happened where he rang scott hall and scott's like yeah i've he just he barely knows what's going on. He's his voice is so weak. He picks up the phone, it's like nine AM in the morning, he says, I've had vodka for breakfast. And when they pick him up at the airport, it's he's like in a wheelchair and it's I because I I'll tell you right now, I've seen Scott Hall wrestle in TNA when he was completely out of shape, like, you know, looks nothing like him you and can see still the, Oh, the horrible clip from what was it the Oh the little independent the shows, yeah. Show, and they're fucking can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, no, please, let's do, let's do. So they bring in Scott Hall. They, they tell all the fans, yeah, we're going to get Scott Hall. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, pay him a bunch of money to come over. He turns up and he's clearly out of his head. He's, he's got, got his hospital wristband hospital on. Hospital wristband, yeah, from the night before. Where he's having he's seizures and stuff. Like, he's Jesus. on all these medications. He's, he's still obviously going through so much shit. And he's out of it. He's not there. I mean, he's there, but he's not. And he's asking for a booze and stuff, and they're giving it to him. They're just giving him whatever. And the promoter... was the promoter, right? Yeah, it was the promoter. Yeah. He's like, not my problem. We've paid him the money, so, you know, if he wants to wreck himself, that's up to him. No heart, you piece of shit. His viewpoint was, because he goes, as soon as Scott showed up, he was like, where's my money? And he's like, well, you people paid for Scott Hall, and so here's Scott Hall, and we just showed the world what Scott Hall was. And it's like... Fucking piece of shit. That's like, yeah, I mean... 
that's not showing love for the fans and it's not showing respect for the the talent and just the industry itself. I think that's just the, the shittiest. It's the lowest of the low. Like yeah. it's re- and that was that that clip. There was the clip of him from like 2011 where he's like and he does like an angle and all the stuff in the ring and like he's get you see him he gets punched he just falls over like a fucking ton of bricks. He just looks so out of his element. The saddest thing for me is seeing him do the crotch thrusts. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And he's just it's not he's not there. It's funny because like, everyone was complaining that WWE, they were like, yo, why aren't you helping them? And they were like, well, we've we sent him to have, have 12, like 12 times. times or whatever it is. So like when he shows up and DDP helps him out and in the similar way that he did with Jake, you know, the crowdfunded surgery that he needs to do. That blew my mind. That it's just wow. It's funny because people were going like, oh, why did you, uh, <laughs> why did you crowdfund surgery when you, you know, you've made all this money? It's like, well, you know, what's necessarily free? I had to make like eighty thousand phone calls and sign all these autographs to thank all the people. But I think what was most important about it was not just like hair. You need a hip replacement. It was also him, like seeing the videos of Scott realizing that, hey there's still hundreds of thousands yeah. of people who love and care about you. Because he mentions like, oh, I didn't even have an iPhone or the yeah. internet until like 2014. He gave him like his old iPhone 4S like just a couple of years ago. Oh. So cute. So that's why always Scott Hall on Twitter is always something so fascinating because I think Scott Hall is still getting to grips with the fact that his fans are still there and they will talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that must be, yeah, that must be amazing to, like, come away from wrestling so dramatically and really go through all that that shit and and think that your whole career is over and then come back and see, no, wait, I'm still loved. And the sad thing as well is that, like, when you're out in the outs with WWE and the documentaries come out talking about all the important moments in WrestleMania, all the important WCW moments or top guys of all time, whether they mean to or they don't, if you're not with the company... The history gets written around that fact. Yeah. And no more so than Scott Hall, you know, Shawn Michaels wrestled the ladder. You know, for many years, Scott Hall was just known as, yeah, he was just a guy who was a fuck up and he never made it to the top. He was lazy. He was part of all the, you know, the bad side of wrestling. And I was so happy to see him go into the Hall of Fame when he was clean and sober and he looked like, he looked like... Razor again. He looked like Scott Hall. Not saying he would look like a young. He was still an older dude. He had the the grey in his hair. Yeah. But he just looked. He owns it. He, yeah. He looks fantastic. He looks in amazing shape. It's so wonderful to see. I mean, I'm not like I'm not by any point you know patting WWE on the back because it always very much is the case is that like you have to get right before WWE will associate with you again. Yeah. But I'm glad that he did get right and WWE did embrace him again and you know they make documentaries and you know he's featured again and when they talk about greatest matches of all time and stuff yeah. you know they'll mention him and Sean and that's that's nice that he's managed to to reclaim that and it's because you know WWE the way it's going they own wrestling history folks yeah, and do. I'm glad that Scott has managed to find his place in history you know he said himself he'll probably relapse and I mean he has had his ups and downs since but did you see the picture of him the other day he's age 58 no. Oh, he, he he's like his 58th birthday the other day and he just posted a picture of his abs. It's like, holy fucking shit. Wow, <laughs> he's amazing. Like, he said, happy 58th birthday. Thank you, DDP. Oh, <laughs> that's really nice. I want DDP abs. Where are mine? Yeah, seriously. We haven't got enough chest hair, I guess. Uh. <laughs> Off topic, but I mentioned this and then you told me I had to mention this in the recording. But I think I saw Bruce Forsyth. What? <laughs> 
You told me to mention where it. Was, when, when, where was this? It's about the time where they crowdfunded the amount he needed to get the hip replacement. That uh, was an old man, and you said, no one's Prince ever said he'd look like Bruce Forsyth. Oh, it's someone at the Hall of Fame he shakes hands with. Oh, God, it's Bruno Sammartino. You said it was Bruce <laughs> Forsyth. Oh, my fucking God. Sorry. <laughs> Because <laughs> Bruno Sarantino's got the pointy nose and the mustache, and he had <laughs> bald Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> of course, uh, Bruce Forsyth, who refused to have anything to do with player cards, right? All throughout the 90s and early 2000s because he thought it became too sexualized. That's a hardcore Bruno reference and a hardcore Bruce Forsyth reference. <laughs> for any, There's like me and maybe one other lad somewhere who's <laughs> like, oh yeah, man. But we made the joke anyway. <laughs> But I think seeing Scott at the Hall of Fame again, like, I mean, obviously now it had a little bit more poignancy, I guess. Yeah. You know, seeing it. So we come come to a nice end with this documentary, which is that obviously throughout his career, the sad truth is he, he did have a family at home who really could have, who needed him. Yeah. And his son mentions many times throughout how much he, you know, he missed having a father in his life. And it is sad. But what is a lovely thing about him being able to sort of get his life back together with the help of DDP is that he's managed to like hang out more with his son. Yeah, he reconnected with his son Cody, who's actually since been trained to be a wrestler. Like, and so he's directly training him now in everything he knows to become this this star. There's I'm no better really, person to train you. Like, that's really cool. We often talk at the end. It's like, oh, we kind of wish someone could have like a lasting legacy and yeah, pass stuff Kurt on. Yeah, Hennig, just, perfect example. Yeah. He never got to train his son, who is also a wrestler, and that's always been. I thought really, really sad. Mm. It's so nice to be able to think that he's got this relationship again with his son. He's training him to become a wrestler, and he's got that. He's still he's still way young enough. He's yeah. fifty eight. That's so young. Yeah, yeah. He's still got so much time to pass on all his skills he's always said he wanted to do commentary or be involved in creative yes with that voice ah oh. get that man to the performance center please because that charisma yeah. the 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 punching the, the everything <laughs> the gimmick knowledge and oh he's so good it's it's funny because there's very few people who like oh ever envision like replacing someone like a dusty Rhodes in terms of getting into your character and stuff but if his head was right and he kind of had support to help him learn how to teach and whatnot I don't think there's a better mind you could learn from in terms of character than if you had Scott Hall yeah. in you know, the performance centre. That'd be pretty fucking awesome. I'd so say. cool. I've also as well, I so want to have Curtis Axel and Cody Hall in a tag team. <laughs> yes. I'm Curtis Axel, a big Cody Hall, the tag team champs. I'm Ryan Animal. <laughs> <laughs> Debuting at the Wrestle Rock Rumble there. <laughs> well, fuck, if we have great balls of fire, we can have Wrestle Rock Rumble, surely. Yes. Come on. Right, let's get into some tweets about the bad guy, Scott Hall. Nothing too good for Razor Ramon. Good food, good drink, good chicas. What is this, man? It's the bill, Senor Razor. You got a bill for me, man? You know who I am, man? I am Razor Ramon. People find out I eat in this restaurant, they line up down the street, Chico. Get out of here, man. What's next? Maybe I could mop the floor for you, huh, man? You like that? Here, man. Come here. Maybe I picked the food from your teeth. Would you like that, Chico? I picked the food for you. What's next, man? Huh? Maybe I could bust the table for you, Chico, huh? Would you like me to clean the table for you, man? Maybe I could clear the table, huh? Is that what you would like, man? I clear the table, man. I clear the table for you, man. 
Right, first up we have Dubpat85 saying, Scott Hall jumping to WCW was the catalyst for the wrestling we see today. Best debut ever. Oh, absolutely, because if he didn't debut there, there'd be no NWO. If there's no NWO, WCW wouldn't have started beating the shit out of WWF in the ratings. And if that didn't happen, Vince McMahon wouldn't have had to go, oh, fuck, we need to change everything and do the Attitude Era. So Whoa, that's so weird to It think. is. He is very much, if anyone could ever be classed as being like a spark plug or the tinderbox or whatever it was that started off that spark that made wrestling in the late 90s dynamite, Scott Hall definitely is the number one candidate for that. Count Crory says, Scott Hall is weird to me because everything he did in the ring has been overshadowed by his demons. How do you feel about that? I mean, I know that a lot of people still, I think even since he's had, you know, his, his intervention and whatnot, still kind of strongly associate him with with his demons and whatnot. I mean, for someone who's, who's had to have heard and seen how many times he's went into rehab and it's seemingly having no effect whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I mean, at the very least, you have to admit that he's had a couple of fucking good years and... You know, it, he has tried, he has turned a corner here. Whether he's the first one to admit, you know, he's an addict, he's got serious problems. He could probably just as easily, you know, relapse and go back down. He deals with fucking heavy shit. In the end of that documentary, the WWE one, they had him go back oh, to the scene God. of the fucking murder. He said, like, oh, that my was... therapist said I should do it so it doesn't own me. I'm like, that's, you know, hey, no, no one's going to wave a magic wand and this shit to go away. It's a fucking struggle. But, yeah. like, you can't deny it. There's people like him, people like Jake. People like you look at Road Dog, Billy Gunn, Xbox. There's so many guys from that time, and even that clique who had fucking dark times. Maybe not as dark as, as Scott, and they're doing well. So I personally don't want to be as cynical to be like, oh, they're just gonna go and relapse. If someone's doing well, I think it's important for fans to support that and let them know that that is a fucking good thing and send them some positivity on the basis of that. You just look at him and how far he's come. You see him talk in interviews, and it just looks like he's so scared of going back there yeah he seems so much clearer now and he like has he has a support group he does have like ddp and jake yeah he hasn't like he has a support system i think that's probably and what he lacked before yeah and he's going to therapy which he never did before so like now is almost incomparable to before mm. yeah I, th- I think I, I i think he's no longer defined just by that i think you know i don't think that's that's fair Jeff Maxfield says, I was always fascinated by the way he said words with the letter R in them. Hard R's all round. Razor I'm not as good as he is. Goad Phillips says, he tasted Goldberg. Joe will like that. I do like that. Please tell me that story. Yeah, he uh, hit Goldberg with a taser. I mean, we're, we'll probably get you get to see that very, very shortly, let's just say, um, without spoiling anything. Spoilers for the next five minutes, but uh, <laughs> Joe will get to find out more about that very soon. Don't you worry. Loki Fide says, a top heel, living the gimmick and looking after young guys in the locker room. Picks up loose leg during abdominals stretch (laughs) the hot carl 899 says scott hall completely revolutionized the wrestling industry by making it cool to cheer for the bad guys yeah a lot of people have kind of struggled with that in that you know the cool heel is something which a lot of wrestling fans have a lot of disdain for um me and adam are watching for the atr podcast sort of smackdown at the moment which has got a serious cool heel syndrome where it's like the bad guys are coming out and doing all the things to make you cheer them essentially I think what's most important is that if you're going to go and have a cool heel, they actually have to be fucking cool. And there's a lot of guys who've tried to do cool heel and it's just been awkward and annoying and irritating. I think the unfortunate reality is you have to be naturally very cool and that's not something you can just become. And if you look at the way things are going, whether you agree to it or not, but WWE are very taking the the line these days that we don't care about faces and heels. Mm. We care about 
personalities that people react to. Yeah. So maybe Scott's ahead of his time in that front. Yeah. <laughs> Our next episode is going to be a bitter pill to swallow for young Joe Graham over here. Do we have to do it? Yes. You've had your delicious, hairy, tall, chiseled entree. Now it's time to eat a big steaming plate of Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to eat your greens and not just because he was poorly trained and he is green you have to eat your Goldberg for those of you who've been a backer on Patreon we've had a very interesting kind of journey over the last couple of months starting way back at Survivor Series and we review all of the pay-per-views even those that are two a month so there's like 28 episodes up there now in case you're thinking of becoming a backer but one of the most interesting things about that is always that Joe's a new fan Kind of has to try and interpret a lot of WWE's booking, particularly when it's like, it's a guy you don't know about from way back in the day. We had Goldberg come back in Survivor Series in November to a massive load of Ballyhoo that Joe simply could not... <laughs> I don't say he could understand, but it certainly struck you as odd. And try as I might, over the course from Survivor Series to him beating Kevin Owens in a couple of seconds, to him and Brock Lesnar facing off again at WrestleMania... I tried and failed to explain the phenom and the following that Bill Goldberg gained in the late 90s in WCW. Our next episode is going to be How To Goldberg, where I'm going to try and attempt, with the help of you lovely How To Wrestling fans, to teach Joe about the man behind the streak, okay? We're talking about Goldberg. Joe has got such folded arms at the moment and a look of incredulence. I'm sulking. We might as well say right now so everyone's on board and know where you stand. You're not a fan of Goldberg. No, but it's interesting because there was a match earlier on when we first started Housey Wrestling before I'd seen, I think it was like maybe our fourth episode or something, really early on. Yeah. And I really liked the match, but I can't remember who it was against. That's funny because I remember one of your first experiences of Goldberg was Goldberg versus Lesnar from WrestleMania 20 with Austin as the referee and that match is fucking... Yeah, no, I hated that match. Matches. No, this was before that one. So you have seen some Goldberg that you have liked. Yeah, but I only am even aware of this because a, some, a fan actually told me, like, he tweeted in saying, actually, you watched a Goldberg match really early on in the show and you really liked it. <laughs> so is it right to say you don't get... Yeah, Goldberg. I yeah, I don't get it at all. The three-minute matches, just squashing. That's a long one for him. Like. He does as the finisher. My main problem is that the only reason he wins is because he does his finisher immediately, which is just like, well, then everyone can do that. This is going to be a really challenging one for us to do, mainly because if we sit down and we just pick four matches, yeah, it'd be like a ten-minute episode. It'd be great. <laughs> But it's like that we can't just do that. Now he we have has to watch like twenty matches just to get the time in. Now Goldberg has some matches that are longer that are worth watching. One of actually which is uh, the ladder match with Scott Hall he did in WCW. I was gonna do it for this episode, but I figured it would be better as a watch for Goldberg, because it's meant to be quite a good match. So if there are any kind of actually Goldberg has got some pretty good matches under his belt and he's not just a squash match artist like we might think he is. If you're that Goldberg fan, you've got those matches please send them in. We are after your memories, your thoughts, your matches, your promos, all your recommendations to help Joe understand about Goldberg. Because Joe, unfortunately, can't be a young teen wrestling fan in the late 80s watching WCW getting behind Goldberg. We can't emulate that, but maybe we can try and explain what it was like. 
I am kind of hopeful for this. Really? Mainly because I've been discussing with our artist, Dan, who's illustrating the new Goldberg picture. I'm like, yeah, and here's some of the kind of why people loved him. And he's starting to see already, like, oh, wow, I can see how this is, like, a bit different and why people might have come around it. So maybe either Dan's been a sycophant or he's understanding Goldberg, which means maybe Joe will get to appreciate Goldberg. He had to part with me going on a rant the other day. He was like, what episode are we doing next? And I was like, we're doing fucking Goldberg. I hate him. He's only three minute matches and he's bloody rubbish. I don't know why anyone likes him. So if the artwork for it is Joe just like throwing over a table and angry scribble, jumping on a load of DVDs, like, you know, the main thing I'm after if you were a wrestling fan in the late 90s who followed Goldberg's career, because admittedly, I was not following Goldberg's career week to week on WCW because I didn't watch Nitro, if I could help it. But if you are someone who was that Goldberg fan who started at the beginning of the streak and went all the way through, or if you're someone who Goldberg's return this year in WWF was a genuinely special moment, please head over to Facebook because you can maybe write a longer description or tweet us using the hashtag HowToGoldberg and try and explain to us why Goldberg was special growing up or as a fan when you were younger. I'm already so confused because you keep talking about this streak. I thought it was The Undertaker who had the streak. Oh, that's a different streak altogether. (laughs) It's a different streak. And no, no one will be nude in this one. However, Goldberg does have chest hair for most of his career, so that might sway you, Joe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm cut, My standards are too high now because I've seen loads of Scott Hall matches, so it's like peak chest hair. So our WCW theme will be continuing looking at one of the few homegrown stars WCW ever had. The next episode, don't forget to use the hashtag HowToGoldberg. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of How To Wrestling. And as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher Radio, make sure you leave us an old rating or review. And don't forget, if you're always looking for ways to help How To Wrestling, recommend us to a friend. I see so many people these days who are asking on Twitter, like, oh, I'm looking for a new podcast, or people are looking to get into wrestling. Can't keep track of all of them, but if you ever see someone who's looking to get into wrestling, why not suggest how to wrestling as an entryway? Because I know we've got a lot of people who have gone in and are actually going along their journey getting into wrestling, using us as a guide, and that's always awesome to hear about. Yeah, that's always so cool. And also, you can find us on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash howtowrestling, and on Twitter, that's at howtowrestling, for all our various updates, news, random funniness. Oh, don't forget as well, if you like your pictures and whatnot, you can follow us on Instagram now, howtowrestling on Instagram. It's my only wrestling Instagram, so all fun wrestling imagery and videos and weird stuff goes on that Instagram page, do make sure you give us a follow. If you want to support the show, you can do that in a number of ways, and the best way is via heading to our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash wrestling. There are a variety of tiers, starting from $1 where you get my show notes, up to $5 where we do monthly pay-per-view reviews, reaching all the way back to 2015 SummerSlam. And Kevin's recently had a look at the, uh, the feed, some episodes weren't showing up correctly, they're all there now, so you can get the full list 28 episodes every pay-per-view since we started doing this show i know there's a lot of people like when they're kind of like wondering like they're in daytime between episodes and are like want to get more content five dollars you've got 28 episodes they're all at least an hour to an hour and a half long and it's so fun chronicling 
the ups and downs of the last two years of wrestling because it's been a really weird two years of wrestling in there with all the pay-per-view reviews and not just that there's other one-off bonus episodes as well like our Southpaw Regional Wrestling Retrospective I hear they're bringing back another season oh fuck yeah you better believe we're going to be recording that we'll likely do things like uh, give retrospectives on the new Glow series that's starting over yes. there as well we've got snack reviews we've got our live perspectives when we've attended shows UK Championship Tournament Retrospectives so all that is there available for a five dollar backing become a ten dollar backer you can join us for a monthly live stream and if you want to request an episode you can by becoming a fifty dollar backer over at patreon.com forward slash haichi wrestling if you have any questions about becoming a backer about requesting an episode or the rss feed head over to haichi wrestling.com there's an faq there or always shoot me a message on patreon or haichi wrestling at gmail.com and we've got t-shirts now as well joe yes available from what a maneuver amazing beautiful high quality cotton t-shirts with a variety of colors to choose from if you're sick of just black wrestling t-shirts because i know that i've got 86 plain black wrestling t-shirts Kevin is like not even lying he got rid of three bin bags of black wrestling t-shirts <laughs> this weekend alone so if you want to introduce a little bit more variety and stand out at your favourite wrestling show why not grab an amazing pastel haichi wrestling t-shirt from whatamaneuver.net plus it destroys toxic masculinity because it's got flowers on boom how about that don't make the same mistake the click did buy our shirt <laughs> until next time when it's going to be looking at how to Goldberg it's a goodbye from me Kevin and a goodbye from me Joe thanks so much for all your help with this one we'll see you next time on another episode of how to wrestling see ya <laughs> <laughs>